Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, December the 10th, 2014, and you're listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm here with Steve Say, yeah, Mr. Bob Ryer. Yeah, I second that. And Miracle of Miracles on the line with Ms. Stephanie Cook. Hallelujah, as Oma would say. <laughs> Stephanie, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's been so long, you guys. It's been a really long time because... <laughs> The last time you recorded us, I think, was, like, the last week in October. Yeah, and um, I was in Minnesota, uh, and I came back, and I was just, like, feeling really crappy, and I tweeted everyone, was like, I'll be back next week, I promise, and then I forgot that there was um, Amanda uh, Amanda Palmer concert that I had promised my friend to go to for her birthday, so I was like, no, I'm not going to be back, (laughs) Um, and then I was in Malta, and... Even then, I tried <laughs> to sort of at least make a cameo on the show, but Bobby pointed out that it would be something like 3 a.m. for me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that didn't pan out, and even if it had, I fell asleep. So yeah, but, mm. I, I don't. I I think that at 3 a.m. you would have made even less sense than you normally do. <laughs> it's true, or maybe more. More, yeah, it's true. Like, double it's up. Like when I get yeah. really good at pool when I've been drinking. Yeah, exactly. Might have been that sweet spot. <laughs> Where, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Stephanie is strangely hour. sophisticated right now. Yeah, she's very reserved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no tangents at all. Mm, no, no animal good, noises. I very much like your points. I see what you say, Bobby. You're such a great host. <laughs> that's that's what I'd be like. Save like, that voice for our next comic read through. Yeah. we need that for that's the librarian lady or something. Yeah, yeah. she sounds like a '40s gangster. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Ma Barker. Yeah. <laughs> So, Stephanie, how was Malta? Oh, my God. It was so amazing. Um, So, again, for anyone who somehow didn't know from, like, all the things I've been posting, (laughs) um, I was away in Malta for a week, and uh, I was invited to be a part of Malta Comic Con uh, as a guest to moderate and host panels. Uh, And, you know, there was, like, this thing. I was like, I've never been to a show you know, like a a smaller show like this in a foreign country. I don't know what it's going to be like. And people are just kind of thinking, oh, well, even if it's crap, you're in Malta. Um, But I got there and the uh, convention center, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see them. Um, It's on the top of this giant fortress. And um, the the convention center itself is called St. James's Cavalier. And it's an old medieval fort. Uh, they filmed some of Game of Thrones there. Oh, wow. So uh, bits of Artist Alley were in former turrets. Hmm. Uh, and it's just like 
you're, you're sort of torn because you're like, wow, this building is so cool. Oh my god, art! <laughs> building is so wow, no, oh, I've been wanting to get something from this person. Like, it was a bit of back and forth, um, especially for somebody like maybe myself who has self diagnosed ADHD. Mm -hmm. uh, so, it was really, really like amazing. Uh, the show itself is pretty small. Uh, there was two, three small rooms that were filled with artists. And I guess there was a downstairs, too. There was more artists and kind of exhibitors there. Um, there was a cool 3D printer that I was mesmerized by for a while. Ooh. Just like, oh, I want to watch this. Those things are amazing. I know. Um, and, yeah, the show was really great. Uh, there was a couple Americans there. There was uh, Steve Scott who did some work on the Graveyard Book most recently, uh, Gabriel Hardman and uh, Karine Beshko. Karina Beshko. Uh, and, uh, like, I don't know if you guys know Gabriel Hardman, but he's worked on, like, The Hulk, and he also does movie stuff, like he storyboards. He did, like, storyboards for Inception. Hmm. Very cool. Hmm. I totally ran a trivia show um, where uh, Chris Thompson, who runs a podcast called Pop Culture Hound, um, he picked a team and I picked a team and we faced off <laughs> for the masses. Uh, he complained that my questions were too hard, so I made them a little easier. And then they wound up winning and I was so angry. Oh. <laughs> they even got trophies and they keep posting photos. They're like, look at us, the winners. What? And <laughs> Mike Collins, who does like Doctor Who, um, I he like just posted up a photo of the panelists. He's like, look at the people who lost Geek Trivia. And I'm like, ouch, ouch, Mike. Just ouch. Call for a rematch. That's all you can do. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is below it. Flip tables. <laughs> ah, I came up with all these questions. That's what my idea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Gabriel Hardman basically, you know, held our team together. He was amazing. He knew the answer to everything and like oddly really specific stuff about the question. Um, and, you know, then he would try and get Chris Thompson. He'd be like, well, I've answered more than what you asked. Do I get extra points for this? <laughs> uh, it, it was pretty great. Uh, I also hosted panels on how to publish, self-publish comics. Um, I did a Q&A spotlight art gallery tour with Clint Langley, who uh, did the covers for um, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, for the previous run, the Dan Abnett stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. And then it was just this, you know, desperate need to, like, I want to stay at the show. I want to see panels. I want to meet people. And I also just really want to go explore everything. Uh, so it was incredible. It was just amazing. I'm trying to find a way to make sure that I go back next year. Um, the organizer drove me to the airport and I was kind of like, I want to come back next year, <laughs> you know, if you'll have me, <laughs> bring me back, please. Um, and they had like guest karaoke for all the guests every night. And it was, it was crazy. Um, Steve Scott, again, uh, he was from Mississippi and uh, him and somebody who I'm pretty sure was named Chris. There was like 12 Chris's. So if you didn't know somebody's name, it was just like, well, I think he's probably a Chris. Mm -hmm. um, they did uh, Oh I'm Too Sexy Oh no <laughs> and, But like none of them could sing So they were just like dancing <laughs> oh, What was... did you do Steph? Uh, 
Come on. I what is just, what does Stephanie do when she karaoke's? I I didn't drink enough. People oh, you were just trying didn't to do convince me to get up there. And okay, the truth is, uh, I didn't do any songs for the karaoke. And then by the time I'd kind of started drinking, because um, our karaoke was in a bar in a hotel, the hotel they had shut down the karaoke. Oh. So we were gonna go to a bar afterwards, but nobody knew where it was. All we could. Uh, you know, decide amongst ourselves after we had drunk is that there was a karaoke bar nearby, um, something lemon in the title. Lemon fizzy, fizzy lemon, lemon jube jube. We couldn't figure out the name <laughs> of the bar. Um, so I didn't wind up singing, but um, I very much enjoyed everyone else who did. It was good times. All and right. I think... Uh, there's there's just so many like quotable things too. I t- I took like a bajillion pictures. The panels went really well. And um, uh, JP, oh my God, what's his last name? JP, this guy, he's London horror comics. Uh, that's what he does. And hmm. he was on our self publishing panel. And uh, <laughs> I think one of my favorite things he said. He was kind of like, Have you guys seen Die Hard? <laughs> publishing is like Die Hard. <laughs> I thought he was going to work in like some Hans Gruber shenanigans, but he's like, you're just trying to work your way to the top and you take everything like one level at a time, but it's a really, really tall building. Huh. Uh, yeah, I was really hoping that, again, Hans Gruber would get worked in there, but. <laughs> you were sadly disappointed. I was sad. I, which is, I mean, I wasn't disappointed. It was great, but yes. <laughs> I also had like no Wi-Fi for like the entire week. So this was. Basically, um, going back in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, uh, JP, come off. Yes. There you go. Yeah. There's a few people that I don't think I was actually ever introduced to. Um, but somebody kept calling him something else. So, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> it was great. I had lots of fun. Um, I met lots of cool people. Met a girl from Bulgaria. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of other people I met, but. Is there a language barrier in Malta? What is their local? No, it was amazing. Everyone speaks English. Um, everyone. And some people, like, they also speak Maltese, but they also speak Italian. Um, one of the people, one of the other guests at the show was a woman named uh, Morama Cor- Corlett. And she's an actress. Um, she was in Guardians of the Galaxy, but unfortunately her scene got cut. Oh. Uh, but... She was also in the BBC series Sinbad, um, and she's been in a few other things. She's Maltese, and so I was walking around and I had coffee with her one day, and she was trying to get toast, and they, she, she speaks Maltese and is just like the nicest person in the world, and then she like speaks English perfectly fine and uh, Italian, and she's just I'm like, how many languages do you speak? She's like, oh five. I'm like. Oh, five. Like, you say that so casually. <laughs> um, but Maltese, I think, uh, is, it has roots in Arabic. So she can also speak, like, or understand, like, a little bit of Arabic because it's, uh, Maltese is sort of founded on it, mm. I think. And then same with, like, Italian. Like, a lot of the languages kind of all evolve from one another. So I think once you learn, learn like, Spanish um, or French, you know, a lot of the other ones become... Uh, really easy to pick up the romance languages yes yeah absolutely. so there w- there wasn't a language barrier everyone was absolutely delightful um and it was just 
incredible. It was, and so many things from Game of Thrones were filmed there. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like it was awesome. Uh, yeah. It was, I, I recommend it. Go, if you guys have the means to uh, go check out the show next year, especially go, I mean, it's uh, November, December. So it's off season, like you know, it, not as many things are open for tourist areas. You know, there's no boat cruises um, around the island or anything. But that also means there's a lot less people wandering around. Right. Um, and it's so awesome. Um, I, I loved it so much. Oh, I'll quickly tell one more story. Um, <laughs> so I was at the top of a fort, the fort that's like overlooking, you know, the ocean. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but like it had been sunny for like two hours. But all of a sudden I was like, oh, you know what I should do? I should put on my sunglasses. And normally, I mean, I'm clumsy, but I'm not like fumble things and throw things off cliffs. Clumsy. (laughs) But of course, this one time, I'm I'm always really paranoid. Like I buy, I'm one of those people that will buy, if I love a shirt or a sweater so much, I'll buy two of it. Or if I don't, if I love it and I only have one, I'll wear it rarely because I spill stuff on myself or whatever. <laughs> and so I'm like, I have a pair of Ray-Bans that I got prescription lenses put into. So, you know, they're they're kind of pricey. And um, I normally I'm, I never drop my sunglasses. But oh, no. I dropped them off the side of the fort. <laughs> and I was like, just watching as they go down. I'm like, could you, no. could you, could you? <laughs> And somebody, and Steve, uh, he goes, well, at least it wasn't your camera. And I'm like, that doesn't make it better. <laughs> um, but then Rufus, Rufus Dayglow, he's um, the artist on Tank Girl. Uh, he was like, <laughs> I'm not going to try and do his accent. Um, but he was like, yes. And I was like, I feel like you're taking this <laughs> way too well. He's like, no, this is amazing. Um I was like, what's amazing? He's like, you've given me a reason to go climb the walls of the fort. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, oh, no. Oh, my God, no. you don't need to do that. I'm like, I'm, he's like, are your glasses expensive? I'm like, it's fine. I mean, I dropped them. It was my fault. Like, I shouldn't have been, like, trying to change my sunglasses at the top of a goddamn fort. This is my own <laughs> idiocy. I'm a, I've come to terms with it. Um, and he's like, no. And... <laughs> He, like, literally starts skipping down the street, like, arms, like, la, 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 la. And I was like, oh, my God. His girlfriend, like, looks at me, and I'm like, I'm so, so, so sorry. She's like, no, you've honestly made his convention. Like, this whole week <laughs> has just been made, you know, exponentially better because you've given him an actual excuse to go climb walls. <laughs> um, Spider-Man now, yeah. Yeah. He, apparently, he loves doing that, but, like... um you know, if you're just dicking around, security guards or whatever will yell at you. But if you're like, oh, no, I'm just getting something that fell, like, they won't, hmm. you know, like, they'll, they'll be understanding as long as you're careful. So he was like, I have purpose. <laughs> and he oh came God. back, like, got a photo of him, like, leaping. Like, he's like, yay, <laughs> with my sunglasses. <laughs> oh, he and had them. Oh, great. Yeah, he went and got them. And so. That's awesome. And he, he was like, uh, we opened them. And. It was because they were still like uh, partially in their case. Like I had kind of, I was in the middle of taking them out, and he's like, "Ray-Bans, holy! They didn't even break. Like I dropped them off this giant fort, and it, they were fine." So he was like, "You're welcome." And then I should have bought him a glass of wine, but we all went to go get like um, drinks. And, a celebratory drink, of course. Yeah, 
And then he bought, like, me and his girlfriend and, like, some other people, like, drinks. He was so excited about having climbed the walls. He was like, thank you! It's like, I feel like I should be thanking, I should be thanking you. And I, I am! Like yeah. But, yeah. So, he That's was awesome. amazingly nice and his girlfriend was uh, amazingly understanding of his need to go climb very high things. <laughs> <laughs> so, and she was delightful as well, but, yeah. Malta! Roller coaster trip. Yeah. You have to go to the Tibet Comic Con or whatever and drop something <laughs> off, you know, Mount Everest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was it was pretty amazing. We uh, we abandoned a tour and we went wandering around the fort. Ah, there's cats everywhere too. It's amazing. The cats of Malta. It sounds like it should be a new series. <laughs> I, I took photos and I called them the cats of Malta. I'm like, this is like three of five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> All so. right. Well, it sounds awesome. Um and uh, let's move on though. Let's move on to some comic books. Some of our lightning round. Oh my God, comics. Comics. Yeah, that's what the show's about. <laughs> wow. Have we, have we forgotten? Um, it's like riding a bike. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I won't make you go first, Stephanie, because you are just getting back in. So I'm actually going to change up. I'm going to Steve go first this time. Oh my God. Steve, lightning Bobby. round. Are you ready? Um. Yes. Go. Okay. So. Uh, we are soon doing our deliberations for our end of the year awards for comics. And a lot of you guys have been writing in. And one of the comics that has come up several times has been Rocket Raccoon, either as a series or specifically number five. So I went ahead and uh, read the Rocket Raccoon uh, four and five. And yeah, five was pretty damn amazing, which is the book I, I got in front of me. Um, it's Scotty Young and Jake Parker uh, for writer and artist. And so the deal with this issue is this. This is not a spoiler. Uh, a bunch of kids are gathered around a campfire with Rocket and Groot, and they want Groot to tell a campfire story. <laughs> As we know, he can only say three words. The entire issue is just everybody that speaks, all they say is, I am Groot. <laughs> and you have to like look at their facial expressions and just from the art, which is super colorful and, and super fun, and the story just goes all over the place and you kind of like you fill in the blanks on your own with the I am Groot stuff and you tell yourself this grand story with these, you know, these two friends and, and outlaws. And it's just spectacular. It really is. It's one of those standout issues that if you weren't reading the series, you would totally miss it. So thanks a lot to everybody for suggesting that. Uh, really quick, we'll be talking about this when the uh, deliberations come around, but I finally got around to reading the first arc, which is uh, the Faust Act of the Wicked and the Divine. Holy shit. We'll be talking about this book because <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I absolutely love it. And the other book I caught up with is Leaving Megalopolis from Gail Simone and uh, Calafiori. Jim Calafiori. Jim Calafiori. Uh, like Bob had said, I think it was either last week or the week before. This is kind of... Gail Simone's like writing style meets uh, Joe Hill's The Cape in a way of that this uh, a world where superheroes exist, a giant beast kind of unearths itself from hell and curses or changes all of the heroes into being complete menaces and they destroy the city and there's a few survivors and you follow the story of this group of survivors trying to get out of the city. And it's super, super violent. It is super violent and super intense and just somehow really fun and really satisfying. Uh, I would have liked a little bit more to it. They kind of like just leave you hanging, but I, I think that's kind of the point. Like you get 
a glimpse of what this type of scenario or world would be like. And then the, she kind of leaves leaves it to your imagination as to what, you know, the fate is of these people. Um, so, yeah, all really good stuff. I read a ton of good stuff this week, and that's only a few things, but that's my lightning round. All right, perfect yeah. timing. Yeah, eight seconds left. Yeah, nice. I wouldn't mind seeing a volume, too. I'm I, hoping there'll be another Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, I really, I definitely want to see more of this. It's such a cool... It's such a it's such a cool scenario to write a book about. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they've done it a bunch of times, mm-hmm. but you know, she's just she's got a she's got a way of crafting characters very quickly and getting you really close to them and putting you in their shoes very quickly. Um, kind of like the movement, cool. and, and I like that a lot. Well, you know, there are lots of deconstructed hero things, and we all talk. We're all sort of sick of uh, unless it's done well. We've seen it all before. Mm-hmm. There's a different twist on it, and that was really interesting. I'd like to add something about your rocket raccoon too. Yeah. I would bet you you could read that over and over and over again and tell yourself a different story each time. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And just continue to enjoy it. It's just a beautiful, beautiful book. The colors that they use throughout this, I mean, throughout the entire series, but just this issue in particular is kind of the, you know, look at what we can do uh, kind of issue. Mm-hmm. And just a really, really nice way to cap off the arc. Like I was gonna, I was going to drop it and I was just going to, pick it up and trade but after that issue if there's going to be special little things like that throughout the series i'm going to keep going with it cool awesome awesome all right bob you ready okay all right lightning round bob go okay we're starting with ghost number 10 which i've been sticking with this series but it's been missing some of its humanity oddly since the lead character has reclaimed her own it's always been pretty dark but the light of this has always been Eliza Cameron and it's kind of gone away a little bit she's now fighting and killing gangsters left and right so I may go one more but after 20 years I may be finally done x-factor 17 speaking of done because there are only three more after this one and I <laughs> and it's an axis story and it's going along well but I hope this isn't getting in the way of Peter actually finishing off the story and giving it a nice farewell the way he did the last volume of x-factor because this started slow but it's really become a favorite of mine again so cool Hope for that. Secret Six, number one, Gail Simone, Ken Lashley. I need to see a little bit more to see if I'm going to stick around because this is interesting, if not spectacular for me. Uh, A little bit of awkward getting to know you stuff. Handled well, but a little Hmm. good dialogue. It helps that, but... I thought some of the characters are really cool. Yeah, I'm going a couple more, Mm -hmm. but we're going to see. Uh, Look good, read well, just not... I wanted more. So after okay. the movement, it makes me realize how much I missed that one. It reminded me of like Saw meets Suicide Squad. That's good. I <laughs> like that. Uh, we're going to go back a little bit in time to 2010. Uh, the Black Cat by Jen Van Meter and Javier Polito and Matt Hollingsworth. Ooh. During the Women of Marvel initiative, they did all sorts of little things. This is a really fun caper tale about stolen artwork and the Kravinov family and old Spider-Man foes and all combines into something really, really nice with Fabergé eggs and stolen artworks and swords. And it's just a heck of a lot of fun. And Javier Polito really knocks it out of the park here. Very she-hulky. And but here's the question. Are there sperm eyes? There are no sperm eyes <laughs> anywhere to be seen. But it, it's uh, Amanda Connor covers, by the way. Uh, she, Those are gorgeous. Yeah. I have that at my house. You I've should never read, read it, though. Here, you can take a picture for Stephanie. There are no sperm eyes on that picture. <laughs> but it's real. I, I saw it in the, in the cheapy box at my local store and just sort of, oh, you know, I need to get that. Uh, so that got me going because I, I, my mind works in funny ways. So there was a black cat long before. She's the, probably the first costumed heroine created specifically for comic books back in 1941 for Harvey Comics. And you can't get a trade paperback. All you can buy is 10 single <laughs> reprinted issues 
in a plastic bag for like $30. Uh, she was in Pocket Comics and then moved into Speed Comics before getting her own book that ran to 1946, created by Al Gabriel. And eventually she was teaching martial arts in the books itself. But what it really began with, she's Linda Turner, who is a stunt woman turned movie star who finds Nazis on her movie set and fights them in an outfit from one of her movies. <laughs> so that's a pretty good kind of origin story, a little different than everything else. And that's where the black cat actually began. That's it for me. Where am I at? Amazing. Yeah, same exact as Steve at like six seconds. Left. Nice. <laughs> Way to go. You guys are undershooting it now. Um, awesome, Get, awesome. Getting it tight, man. Um, Secret Six, I read it as well. I just wanted to chime in really mm-hmm. quickly. Um, I kind of agree with both of you guys. I, I enjoyed it. And I know some people had some trouble with the problem with the art. I liked the style. Yeah. Um, I think Catman is really cool. <laughs> um, it obviously has a slightly... I've only read very little of the original run. Mm-hmm. It's obviously a different tone than that book had. It um, has more of a... They feel like it has more of an edge right now. Mm-hmm. And it's d- doing a different thing. Uh, but I, I liked Catman a lot, and just his character alone had me, uh, you know, interested mm-hmm. enough. Also, I don't know really any of the other characters at all, so I'm interested in this kind of Zatanna-like yeah. bad guy girl mm-hmm. that is happening there. Um, so yeah, I want to see what what happens next. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think it was I expected to like be blown away by it, and I wasn't blown away by it. Yeah. So I had initial disappointment when I finished reading it. I mean, here's my thing: I there are characters in it specifically that I know Gail Simone writes very well, like the Strix character. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, I was I like that as well. I don't know if it's a spoiler, but there's a there's a villain that she uh, has written that she writes very well, and I particularly liked that villain a lot mm-hmm. when they came out, and I'm excited to see more from them, however long it lasts, even mm-hmm. if it's just another issue and the Catman stuff is just awesome yeah you know so um no i i i really enjoyed it it was kind of like i said suicide squad meets like a saw scenario yeah just gritty and weird and and i liked it yeah stephanie did you read it nope not yet okay <laughs> just wanted to make sure um you've been out of the country so it's okay <laughs> uh, i know i didn't have any comics at all and i was just like oh <gasps> well i had comics from malta well, of course. They have Maltese yeah. comics? Well, I, not like comics from Malta specifically, okay. but they do have Maltese comics. Uh, somebody at the self-publishing panel came and told me about hers, but uh, I picked up a bunch of comics while I was there. Cool. Well, it's time for your lightning round, Stephanie. Are you ready to get back into it? I should think so, maybe, yes. <laughs> All right, you have your three minutes <laughs> and go. All right, so I've been away. I should have lots to talk about. Um, I read... All new Captain America number one, uh, the first with Sam Wilson. I wasn't blown away by it. Kind of felt like uh, it felt like everything was kind of just a lot of backstory for number one, and especially one that was going to bring in a lot of new readers. Um, it felt like they just, you know, they had that big thing at the beginning, um, but I don't know. It felt not really personal to the story, and they just kind of jumped in. Um, And it left me wanting more, but not in like a give me issue two kind of way in a why didn't you give me more number one kind of way. Um, uh, Let's see. What else have I been reading? Oh, good God. Why didn't I plan this out? I've been reading a ton of Doctor Strange stuff um, and I love it. I don't think I've really read anything exclusively Doctor Strange before. And well, I haven't read the um, season one yet. I've been going through and I read. Uh, this Doctor Strange from the Marvel Vault and uh, the Oath. Ah, oh, the Oath is awesome. 
Yeah, they were so great. Um, I read one other Doctor Strange story. I think it was one of the Marvel Knights one. Hmm. Um, but like five pages in, I was like, I hate this. And I <laughs> just gave up on it. I was like, I, I, it was followed up um, after I read these first two. And I just kind of thought, nope, this doesn't hold a candle to those. Bye. Um, let's see. What else have I read that I should talk about? Things. Stuff. I'm wasting time. <laughs> la, la, la. Went, read through a bunch of Guardians of the Galaxy, the old stuff, the Dan Abnett stuff. Really liked it. Uh, obviously kind of different from what you have now, which I think was really preparing people for the movie. Uh, but it was still lots of fun. And uh, I'm going to be reading more as uh, time allows me to, uh, you know, do. Um, and just quickly... Uh, Jurassic World trailer. So good. Dinosaur. <laughs> uh, Star Wars. Force Awakens. There was stuff in it. There was lightsabers. Um, They were really cool. And I will probably see those in theaters. And by probably, I mean, yes, I will. Especially the Chris Pratt one. Because Chris Pratt with dinosaurs. <laughs> so, Raptor cycle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And... Hybrid. Why didn't they just make like a uh, herbivore? Why didn't they just do that? Well, then that would be very exciting for the, the the danger of the movie. Yeah, it's eating yeah. a bunch of grass. Yeah, yeah. it's escaped <laughs> and it's eating all the grass. <laughs> uh, Movies yeah, over. Spared no expense. I don't have anything to graze on, and the cows die, and then it turns yeah. into. Like, hey, you brontosaurus, get off my lawn! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think there are any cows on Jurassic Park. They're the ones they like feed no, to the dinosaurs. It, I'm just thinking as a larger picture when they inevitably get on the ferry and oh, gotcha. escape back to the mainland. Yes, the brontosaurus sneaks under the yeah. ferry. <laughs> yeah. It's like that Gary Larson far side. Yeah. Right? He's got like a newspaper in front of him. It doesn't have to be a giant dinosaur. It could be like a mini one. Okay. Like those pygmy hippos. Yeah. yeah. No really one. tiny and cute, but like. <laughs> Anyways. We didn't really talk about that trailer. I'm not so sure about that movie. Are you oh, kidding me? I'm, 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 I know Bob's going to disagree with me because he likes <laughs> three. I, I like but three. I have, there hasn't been a good Jurassic Park movie for me since the first one. So <laughs> I. I have no. I I want to see it, but I have little to no faith in it because I was of that. Not a fan of the raptor gymnastics uh, featured in the second one. Yeah, the second one's not a good movie. That really bummed me out. It's one of Spielberg's uh, worst movies. But I, I like. I, I'm I'm in a, a Chris Pratt state of mind ever since Guardians. Oh, I love Chris Pratt, but and it's it's been long enough, and there's been enough advances in the technology that just for that stuff alone in 3D in the theater, I want to see it because it's gonna. It's probably gonna look amazing. I don't know if the movie's going to be any good, mm-hmm. but it's probably going to look great. And he calls the dinosaur clever. He does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> She's even cleverer. Clever yeah. Human dinosaur hybrid thing. It's the D-Rex. <laughs> it's the D-Rex. It's, it's got kind of like a, uh, spoilers, it's a little bit like albino-ish looking. Okay. It's like white and... You're not making me any more confident in with this I movie. I thought you were going to say... For the dubstep Rex, yeah, and yeah. Really- <laughs> that would be great. No, I've seen, I've seen like conceptual uh, drawings of it. I've seen figures of it mm-hmm. and things like that, and it looks cool. I, I don't know. I have, a, I have a soft spot for Jurassic Park. I love dinosaurs. Me and too. To, to see, there hasn't been a dinosaur movie that was of any quality at all since Jurassic Park. It's true. You know, Sci-Fi Channel. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, Sound of Thunder doesn't. Well, Primeval's really good. If you've never seen Primeval. I mean, the effects aren't great. But Primeval. It's a show. It? It's a BBC yeah. show? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I have seen Primeval. That yeah. show's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it has the, the girl from uh, S Club <laughs> Seven in it. It does, Hannah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. It's a great show. <laughs> um, fun fact: I have a bunch of figures of dinosaurs in my apartment. They are on my bookshelves. They hang out, and they're like, "Literacy is cool." And um, <laughs> they are not things that I brought with me as a child, but things that I actively sought out and was like, oh, "Dinosaur figures! I need these!" <laughs> in the last like two years. Slash one year. Definitely one year. What's your favorite dinosaur? Which one? What's your favorite? Oh. I I used to really like the Triceratops. That's mine. Mm -hmm. Big fan of the Triceratops. There's still a picture of me that my father took when I was, I don't know, five at the Museum of Natural History. And this one day we were at Jackie's and she was showing pictures of of Luke at the museum and the same shot. Oh, it's awesome. It's like from the same angle. It's like, you know, I, I know that picture very well. And that dinosaur hasn't changed any in 50 years. It looks yeah. exactly the way it did 50 million years ago. Yeah. I uh, I grew up on Jurassic Park. So the raptor has always, yeah. always been my favorite one. I always like the Stegosaurus as well. I if I had like a mace for a tail. I thought yeah. that was really cool. I feel really bad because I don't know the proper name of my favorite one, but it's featured in the new trailer. Okay. And it's the one that's inside of like... The Sea World-ish pool, the, oh, the yeah. alligator oh, like dinosaur Megla. that yeah, me- leaps out of the water and grabs the... I have always, like looking through dinosaur books, whenever I would get to that one, I was like, oh, I want to see one of those. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I'm um, scared of well, underwater terrors. That's why. Yeah. That's so why. I, I, I always like, would skip past that page because I didn't like it. <laughs> oh, I, love oh, it. I tried to find... Uh, great white shark diving tours while I was in Malta because I thought maybe there'd be sharks mm-hmm. in the Mediterranean but there haven't been for a while now Aww. sad panda but uh, Bob I'm going to quickly say uh, about like museum and all that stuff mm-hmm. when I was a kid my parents they, they told me I was like three or four and my parents were like we're going to go see the dinosaurs and I was like what <laughs> yes <laughs> this is the best day ever and, you know, like, I was like, la, 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 dinosaur, dinosaur, dinosaur. Like, we're, like, prancing all the way there. And uh, we get to the museum. And uh, in Toronto, the Royal Ontario Museum has this uh, big dinosaur right as you step inside. I think it's a T-Rex. Um, and my mom's like, dinosaurs. And I was like, and, like my, my face had, like, a look of disgust at, like, three Aww. or four. And I'm just like, Ugh, these are not dinosaurs, mum. These are dinosaur bones. And she was like, oh, wow. did you think this was going to be? And I'm just like, ugh. And I'm like, flip table. Let's go home. It's stupid. Like, I Bob, didn't understand that. That's the one. I can't pronounce that. What is that? It starts with an S. I don't have my glasses. Uh-oh. Uh, Brecky Champs of Montana. No, the one, the one, above, <laughs> the one above it. Sarkasuchus. Sarkasuchus. That's it. Oh, okay. That's the one. Um, Close enough. So we, in our books, all we had were bones. They didn't flesh them out all that much. <laughs> there were those paintings no. by Charles Knight, whatever. But the Museum yeah, of yeah. Natural History of New York now, when you walk in from uh, Central Park, mm-hmm. it, it's the Teddy Roosevelt Rotunda, whatever. It's a giant mounted uh, brachiosaur standing yeah. on its hind legs, protecting its baby from a little allosaurus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's 70 feet high. As yeah. you walk in underneath it, it's... Even if it's just bones, you're you at four years old, Steph. You'd go crazy. <laughs> I yeah, yep. I love dinosaurs. Um, how about that Terminator Genesis trailer, huh? Oh, how about it? 
<laughs> I didn't I, see it at all. Got me to finish hearing about it. Got me to finish off watching Sarah Connor, which nice. was just awesome. Yeah. How many nods to the other Terminator movies? Because we have in just one trailer a lot. Five thousand. And, yeah. and <laughs> how much can we like kill everything inside that you have for Sarah Connor's <laughs> character in that trailer? Well, for me, like I think the idea sounds really dumb. Um, yeah. the idea for the movie. I didn't think the trailer looked especially bad, um, but that's a similar thing. I have no faith in that movie being good because Salvation is horrible, yes. and Terminator 3 wasn't very good either. Um, so uh, I have no faith in it, but I really, really love Amelia Clark, and I think that she's a great choice to play Sarah Connor. I just think that the idea of... like rebooting it but now it's kind of doing like that star trek thing that they did that other Mm -hmm. a couple people have tried to do now where it's like it'll happen but we're doing a time travel thing which changes everything right they went back and fixed things but it's not fixed forever right yeah yeah which which in the if any fiction is going to do it it's a terminator fiction because they have their fiction makes no sense anyway it never made any sense even when the movies were good it made no sense i don't know who john connor is anymore man (laughs) i can't i don't want to follow him anymore i want something else well it's not john connor it's kyle reese is is the is get sent back Okay. Yeah, John Connor is the guy who's like, go back and save my mother. Uh, no, I know. I'm saying yeah. John Connor in other of the other films because he was in Salvation. Correct? Yes, he's in Salvation. No. Yeah, yeah. He's not in the new one. He's in it, but no, he's he not. The, he is in it, but he's not the guy who gets sent back. Okay, but he's he still in it for the vast majority. I don't. Of the- that I have no idea. Uh-huh. I don't. Know, I don't know how much is in the future. How much is in the past? Okay. So he only exists in the future in that movie. I was hoping I that you'd already seen it, like, and this is you know future you come back. Yeah, to yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> tell you, dun 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it in a bus depot. I was like waiting for my bus to leave and I still had like some questionable uh, Wi-Fi from a terminal and I was just sitting on the bus trying to watch the trailer in Malta and like people around me are talking. I just want to be like, shut up. I'm trying to watch a trailer and catch up with everything that happens elsewhere. <laughs> like, ah, I'm living in the past, man. <laughs> Now, how are they spelling Genesis? Well, oh, God, it's ridiculous. It's really obnoxious. It, I, I'm sure it's, it's some... spelling it like my neighbor spell, or my former neighbor spells Justice, the name <laughs> of their child, with a Y instead of an I. Oof. Oh, boy. I think it's supposed to be representative of one of the companies. It's definitely going to be like either a product or a yeah, company okay. or, or an initiative. or It's going to be something it's like, like that. It's like if they called like a new alien movie like Wayland something or other. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it's going to be. But it's Cyberdyne. We all know that. Yeah, but not anymore. Or Skynet. You know, because yeah. whatever happened. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I'll end up probably seeing it. If, if it gets good reviews, I'll see it in the theater. If, in, even if it gets bad reviews, I'll see it on line or I love Arnold Schwarzenegger right. so I'll watch it when it's on I will not go to the movie Arnold's in it for that. too Arnold's yeah, in it. Oh, he's, yeah. in it. he's like the he's in the main guy in it oh, great look yep. this is the tipping point this is there were two good ones yeah and now there could be two uh, three bad ones yeah and take it right off the cliff they'll stop yeah yeah <laughs> only if it doesn't make money that's the only way they'll stop doing it mm, and they'll reboot it yes again uh-huh. <laughs> and then that that'll come out shortly before the next uh, reboot of Fantastic Four. Yeah. <laughs> they're making another Crow movie. movie. Yeah, really? they're making a Crow movie. Yeah, I know that. Does anybody want that? I don't know. I think there, there's so many. that pe- for a while, though. Yeah, and there's been, it's been so long. Yeah. And there's so many people who probably never even saw That's that, true. that original movie. I didn't really think about it. Like and it's, it's a property I think deserves to be revisited. It's a great property. So um, if you can make a new movie and make it good, then. That first movie it. gave so much to me. That, Seriously. That's one of the, like, the. Really, kind of one of the first really good comic book movies. Yeah. Whenever I'm like playing a video game and like 
stuff's going on all, mm. all around, I always end up screaming shit on me. <laughs> like Gideon when he's stabbing me, yeah. shit on me, shit on me. <laughs> that and what the crap is the other one that I use all the time. I love that movie. Aren't you guys so glad that I'm back to derail lightning round? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Ten minutes in between. This, <laughs> this is this is the Welcome Back podcast. Exactly. We're exactly. going to be getting down to business next week and on all the other stuff, yeah, so yeah. it's party time. Yeah, it is. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> all right, I'm going to do my lightning round here. All right, here we go. All right, so purely because of two characters that are back in this issue, I picked up... Justice League 3000, number 12, which I have not been reading, but uh, the the cover reads Blue Beetle and Booster Gold are back. And this issue, I haven't, I, I read the first issue of the series and haven't read anything since. Um, there's some events that they allude to, which I don't really understand. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's completely all Booster and Blue Beetle. There's a couple of, there's like one or two pages with the Justice League 3000. Um, and it's uh, Giffen and DiMatteis. Uh, obviously are writing and Howard Porter is the artist and it was a ton of fun. If you like those characters, it was awesome to have them back. Um, I, I love their relationship. I love that both of them at some time or the other are uh, the dunce and the smart (laughs) one. They, they kind of switch back and forth between it. Um, One at the very beginning is there's a great line because, so it takes place obviously in the 31st century and they have been, they got woken up. They were in some sort of like weird cryogenic freeze or something like that. They got woken up and um, Blue Beetle says, well, Booster, my boy, it looks like we've really screwed the pooch this time. And this kind of guy who's there, this 31st century guy goes, screw the pooch, a 21st century colloquialism. And Blue Beetle just says, kind of our motto. <laughs> so it sets a good tone, you know, kind of who they are and what they're doing. And it had a cool story. You know, I don't know if... I'll read much past whatever this initial arc is with, with them in it, but I'm definitely going to pick up another one because I just like seeing them together and there, there's that tone and lightness and fun that happens there, which I really, really enjoyed. I can't believe that's a 12 already. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Been a year. Um, their book, uh, Hellboy and the BPRD, 1952. Number one, this is another uh, limited series uh, with the BPRD. And uh, they've already said they're going to do 53, I think, and 54 oh. uh, as well. I said this on Twitter, but... And we talked about, we did the book club where we talked about the, the first one. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me that 20 plus years later, Mike Mignola still writes uniformly excellent Hellboy stuff. Yeah. You'd think that the creative fire would have burned or waned at least a little bit by now, but everything they put out is great, and this is no exception. It's a little bit of a slow start, so if you're not a, into the Hellboy stuff, you, you might you might feel that drag a little bit. Um, it takes a lot of time to set up what the conflict's going to be before we get to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the story to whole is great. The art is by Alex Maleev and he fits right into that universe. It's cool to see different takes on, on the characters. And we see those in a lot of the BPRD stuff. It's been different artists for a while. Mike Magnolia doesn't do a lot of the art anymore for the book, but it was neat to kind of see Maleev's interpretation of them. And it's Hellboy's first field mission with the BPRD. That's oh, okay. that's the point of the story. So, you know, there's still some trepidation about taking him out and, and, and doing what they're going to do. There's this village in, you know, this little village that they have to go to that there's been like 36 murders in, mm-hmm. in, in a very short period of time and there's some supernatural stuff, um, you know, it, it, uh, that's suspected and they go there and the town is kind of against them a little bit too and it, it's got a great vibe to it. It's got a great 50s vibe, got a great Hellboy vibe and I really, really recommend it to anybody. Maliv is such a great choice. Mm-hmm. I haven't really loved what he was doing with George Romero's Empire of the Dead. Mm-hmm. I thought of always some Spider-Man kind of artist. Yeah. And wow, it can really knock hard out of the park and what you're flipping through here is just gorgeous. It is 
Mignola-esque, and yet it isn't at the same time. That's that's hard to follow such a signature style that he has in something original, too. Wow. Absolutely. And they it's, it's great because they know people are going to read it the first time, so they give you a quick, very quick, but yet artistic catch up on who the BPRD is. Yeah. And they also give you a, a couple panel pages of just who Hellboy is, like where he came from, what he is, and going on from here, which I thought was very, very cool. Um, Stephanie, did you get a chance to read this yet? No, 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 not yet. Okay. You should definitely check it out because I know how much you love the Hellboy. I do. And this, what is she? Was this number one? Number one, yeah. Okay. I will make sure to add it to my pile. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, did you read it? I did. What'd you think? I enjoyed it a lot. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Always quality from them. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's amazing to me. Um, but let's move on from our, our lightning round to our books of the week. Ha-cha-cha. Steve, you're going you're gonna to kick us off here. Yeah, I am, aren't I? Yes, you are. What the hell? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm so, no, this about? book is getting lost <laughs> on this table. Every time I put it down, I feel like it disappears. Um, all right, I was going to do it in reverse, but I might as well uh, talk about this now. So I can't. Amazon comes to my house, and it, the, guy, the Amazon guy's been at my house he, every mail day for the past, it's got to be eight days now. At some point, I you know, on my door, and they leave packages outside. I've been getting Christmas presents like a motherfucker. And he drops off this giant box, like this giant flat, looks like it could be the size of like a calendar, maybe even bigger box, right? And I'm like, what the hell is that? I'm like, nothing that's that big is supposed to be arriving today. And I forgot that I ordered this. I didn't even know when they were going to ship it out. And I I rip open the box, and there's this teeny tiny little... Like golden book sized book, uh, which is Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky's uh, Just the Tips, a sexual guide from the creators of Image Comics Sex Criminals. Um, so this like little pink square uh, comes out of this gigantic box. I expected this thing not to be huge, <laughs> but to like at least be bigger mm-hmm. like i'm holding i'm I'm holding this um stephanie's gonna talk about it in a bit but a book called through the woods like that size mm-hmm. okay and so this little thing pops out and i'm looking at it and at first i was disappointed and i was like oh i was like that's that's it that's all this and then it occurred to me i'm like it's called just the tips it's a teeny tiny little mm-hmm. book like it's kind of appropriate mm-hmm. and i started laughing to myself and then i opened it and then i laughed even harder with every damn page of this thing um, one of my favorite aspects of this is right after the dedications page, which is already silly, there's a forward from President Barack Hussein Obama like <laughs> endorsing the book, and it's just absolutely hysterical to read it. Um, and then what follows is um, sex tips uh, for you and yours. You got erotica to read to your illiterate lover, pickup lines to pick up uh, while in line, hot positions. So you got positions such as twerking, auto-erotic twerking, the user agreement, the little Hitler, Zadarskying, tabbing. <laughs> it goes on the the ball boobing. Um, oh my god, it is just every single page. I was almost in tears, just laughing my ass off. I collect uh, sex criminals with the individual issues so but I don't always have the time to read the letters in the back so I've missed a lot of this stuff so I have like no gauge as to what's been included in the back of the issues it's all been included okay yeah, none so of this all is new. this yeah okay well all right so then either way a lot of this stuff is is new to me so I'm I'm laughing along with it for the first time I think some of it's abridged as well 
like, I don't know, they were able, like, if you think about, like, permissions to get everybody's Oh, yeah. It stuff. doesn't it doesn't have all the letters in here. It, okay. It, it has, but all of these, like, some of the, some, there are real letters in here, but they didn't include all the letters that have been in the back of the book, but they have all, like, the, the back of the book has the letters, and then, like, around the, the pages, it has these tips and, like, oh. these positions, these pictures. The whole letters column is, like, five pages long, usually. Okay. And it I, has, like, all these different things going on in uh, it. Yeah. I have not been keeping up on that side of the book. Um, and then once I heard this was coming out, there was like no urgency because I thought mm-hmm. it would all be published. But at least I have both and I can I can do whatever. Yeah. But I mean, oh my God, like this is a book that I want to buy several of them and just like hand them to people and be like, here, mm-hmm. when you, <laughs> what you think of me yeah. when you read this, <laughs> you know, or like just get one for your bathroom. Just to leave in the reading basket. For I do, that's where mine lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like for guests and stuff. Like, ooh, just the tips. Like, you know, nice, like little life. And they open it up, and it's like, you know, the I don't know, the reverse. But pick yeah. one. Brimping. <laughs> so yeah, the reverse brimp. Um, so Bobby, you've got a copy of this too. What do you think? I mean, it's fantastic. I just want to quickly read. So if you open the book and get past the dedication from our, our president, Barack uh, Obama, um, the, I'm just going to read the first four sex tips. Go for it. And um, actually, I'm going to read the first two. Can I read the, the vampire? <laughs> yeah. Sure. And then I want, I, want, I want Bob to read the last two because I think that'll be amazing. Um, so here we go. Let, let your man know you're thinking about him all day long by using digital technology to constantly maintain surveillance of his erection. <laughs> Try sex toys to add a little variety in the bedroom. Maybe a slutty Optimus Prime? <laughs> All right, Bobby, read these, read these next two. When making love, whisper in her ear, God is dead, to let her know that it's okay to get real freaky. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with that. Don't forget to thank your sexual partner with a thanks-for-the-fuck greeting card or a replenishing fruit basket. <laughs> Amazing. And that's just the first page. This is yeah. the first page. <laughs> Can I, can I read this? Is it too long? Which one? The, you, can, the, um, you can read it. Yeah, it's okay. Erotica to read to your illiterate lover. Janice wanted to fuck the vampire. More than any werewolf or ghost. The thought consumed her. She unzipped Gary's dirty jeans to unleash his undead alabaster peener and was stunned at what she saw. <laughs> it, it's so small and soft, she blurted gently, her super moist mouth suddenly drying up as if a dick sponge was recently in it. Gary explained, It has been too long since I've fed, and so my body cannot spare the extra blood required for an erection. Perhaps if I feasted on you for a bit. Janice nodded, willing to sacrifice anything for a crazy dicking, and Gary plunged his teeth boners into her thick neck, taking a good gallon of the yummy blood. Janice was pretty weak, but she still went straight for his flesh steak. What was, <laughs> which was now hard as a rock. And she says, oh, it's still so small. And he replies, yes. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So I got through that. That was good. I did. I got through most of it. It was okay. Yeah. Um, So this is right up my alley. I, um, it's okay. Am I good? Yeah, you're good. I have no problem talking about sex or sexual, sexual related stuff. Um, I'm pretty twisted myself. So this is like tailor made for me. And it's just so absurd. It's like everything not to do Mm. in, you know, the bedroom and stuff like that. And they're like, this is a guide to help you have the ultimate sex of your, and it's just full of bad advice, but funny. 
and only stuff that that they can come up with as a as a pair or as a man couple, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, so now that I'm done talking about just the tips, um, buy it for your folks and put it in their stocking yeah, definitely. for Christmas. <laughs> um, my other favorite book of the week that I read, if I can talk about this now, is um, I'm trying to find where the hell is the page with the creators anyway. Um, Wolf Moon from number one from Vertigo. Uh, by Colin Bunn, I will get the name of the artist, and Lee Lowridge on colors with a cover by Jai Lee. Oh, it's Jeremy Hahn. Um, so, of all of the like monsters, like horror Hollywood style monsters and stuff like that, werewolves have always been my favorite. Um, I love the Ginger Snaps movies, uh, American Werewolf in London, so I like all of that stuff. And I saw Wolf Moon, I saw the cover for this thing, the cover by Jai Lee. This thing is horrifying absolutely horrifying i said "Ooh, I'm like i need to pick this up mm-hmm. it's one of six so it's a mini series and um it's pretty much exactly what you would expect it's a classic scenario of a werewolf being set loose in a small town and just ravaging people again another super violent book that i read this week um this is very 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 uh harsh and gory and people losing limbs heads being torn in half intestines falling out all kinds of stuff. So if you're into that, uh, this is definitely something you want to read. <laughs> and uh, there's this guy who's had a, an altercation with the beast before, and he's hunting it. So every full moon, he tracks this thing, and then he leaves uh, whoever he's with, and he goes to try and put an end uh, to all this stuff. And he has a theory that because he keeps having to hunt different people, they kind of spin the werewolf myth a little bit in that you don't become a werewolf from being bitten or being scratched that it's actually kind of like a communal disease that moves from person to person or like a spirit that inhabits a body and then leaves and inhabits another, making it very difficult for him to track it down because he has to first hear about the horrible news before he can even pinpoint where it is and move in. Um, So it becomes about, you know, this terrible, terrible wolf disease versus this really tortured guy trying to do the right thing for everyone and putting himself in harm's way in the process. Um, Colin Bunn is like impressed the crap out of me this year between all of the, uh, the fearless defenders and um, his Deadpool stuff and everything and Magneto. And this is just another story from him. He seems really passionate about it. There's this really cool um, like letter from him in the back explaining how he's always loved werewolves. He's always wanted to write this story and, uh, and the artwork for it really is super cool and really, really scary, particularly the scenes with the werewolves uh, or werewolf. Uh, when you get a really good shot of this thing, it is super menacing and ugly, and I would not want to run into it at all. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty awesome page. Cool. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Wolf Moon, if you were thinking about checking it out on your fan of horror and whatnot i definitely recommend it i thought it was cool yeah, jeremy Hahn did that the riddler issue i think of the oh did he with the villains, the villains month, month the villains month which was also really really great i might uh, have remembered it if it was on the front cover yeah oh <laughs> yeah i know no creative teams on those but yeah so his art is really great i haven't got a chance to read yet but i've been loving pretty much everything colin bunn has done it's, uh, this year well that's the thing like it's, yeah. it's just like that it's like he's one of those people now where if he's writing something new i now pay attention he's one of the names this year that mm-hmm. i've been like oh colin bunn or oh joshua williamson or or whatever mm-hmm. you know um yeah no i thought it was really cool and like i said i have a thing for for werewolves uh hemlock grove that mm-hmm. was the other thing i was thinking of um so yeah 
Cool. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I read a lot of great books this week. Uh, it was really hard to choose, but Wolf Moon uh, was just scratched that edge. It was awesome. Awesome. Okay. Fan of werewolves, uh, werewolf movie recommendation. We'll each give one. I already said Ginger Snaps. That whole, that <laughs> whole, that whole trilogy is okay. fantastic. <laughs> what about you, Bob? Uh, the Howling, Joe Dante's, came out the same oh, year yeah. as American Werewolf, but it's more horror with comedy as opposed to comedy with horror. Absolutely. And absolutely. Rob Bettine's effects are just as good as Rick Baker's. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, I mean, I'd say probably watch The Wolfman, the original, not the yeah. Vanessa Taro one. <laughs> yeah. oh, even a man who is pure at heart and yeah. says his prayers by What about Jack yeah. Nicholson's Wolf? I don't remember that movie at all. Had like moments. Did it? I had moments I enjoyed, yeah. but it went off the rails. I saw that movie when I was like 12 years old, and that's not the time to watch that movie. No. <laughs> it's a movie about like getting old and stuff like that. I just yeah. didn't really make it. You know, I just wanted to see a werewolf movie. Right. Um, but The Wolfman, I watched it near, near the end when we did Fanboy Remix. When we mm-hmm. were, I think we did a list of shame stuff or whatever it was, movies that we hadn't seen. And uh, those Universal Monster movies were on that list, and I picked that one to watch because that one kind of has been, I guess, it gets reviewed the best of the ones. That, you yes, know, it is. Yeah. And it was great. It was great even watching it now. It still held up. I was up super late the other night till about maybe 7 a.m. even, and I popped in The Wolfman, mm-hmm. but then because because of Stephanie, I popped it out right before it started, and I ended up watching Thunderball instead. Oh. <laughs> that was awesome. So how about you, Steph? A werewolf movie? Um, I would have probably said Ginger Snaps, because those movies were my like favorite thing in the world when I was uh, in high school, and yeah. I really do own all three of them still. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah, me too. Um, I love them so much. Yeah. Um, all three of them are really good, but that first one is fantastic. Mm. Fang-tastic? Oh, Whoa. she's back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how I can top that. Uh, Good night. <laughs> yeah, mic drop. Uh, although I don't want to drop this mic because it's new and shiny. Um, I don't know. I, I can't think of any now that I'm on the spot. So Blood I'll and chocolate? Ben Helsing. No. <laughs> no, no. The Monster Squad. Monster Squad Monster is awesome. Squad. Oh, I um, did just watch that for the very first time. What? Like, really? Yeah. 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 Ooh, ouch. Ah, ah. I think she got cat attacked. <laughs> my cat just climbed up my back. She's turning into a werewolf. And she's on Weird my shoulder. Oh, oh I got one to think of Dog Soldiers. Yes. Oh, yeah. which is, I've never seen that. Oh, it's movie. so good. Neil Marshall. It's so good. Um, if you like his other stuff, you like, like The Scent or like that, like it is freaking great. What was that movie with Christina Ricci? Cursed. Yeah. Oh, my God. I saw that in the theaters. Like, I won tickets that movie trips was so there. terrible. Yeah, that is... Yes. <laughs> I think that was a... I think that was a what's his name? The Wes Craven, Kevin right? Williamson. Yeah. Oh no, it was Wes Craven. Yeah. I don't think it was Kevin Williamson. It was an MTV joint. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, <laughs> and it took what years to come out. It did. Yeah, it took a long time to come out. And yeah. Push back and yeah. push back. Remember when they made good movies like Joe's Apartment? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Joe's Apartment. Yeah, the one with all the, cockroaches? the cockroaches. Okay, yeah, the yeah. cockroach movie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Varsity Blues. Yep. <laughs> all right. Okay. Bob, you ready? Book sure. of the week. Go well, ahead. We're kind of in this horror vein, so it's my first book of the week is Gotham Academy Two. Becky Cloonan. And Brendan Fletcher, Carl Kershaw, and three, right? Three, yes, three. What you notice? I didn't get to talk about two. Oh, okay. See, and I'm seeing two is over on your yeah, pile yeah, over yeah. here. So it is number three. And the mystery of the North Hole is the main focus of this one. But each of the other threads has been running through the other issues, picked up, and really nicely balanced. We get even a brief discussion of Olive's problems from last summer without mm-hmm. getting completely yeah. into it, and we don't even know how true what she's saying is or what what the spin on that is going to be. But just so much nice character depth. Each of them, we had gotten a lot of maps, who now was name is Mia, we mm-hmm. now know. Uh, the last couple, but even Pomeline Fritch, we're getting to, there's some change to the positive for her here. She's not mm-hmm. quite the rotten person 
Well, she's kind of rotten, but not maybe not through and through. Yeah, but she's she's rotten, but she's just kind of regular teenage girl Rot- rotten yes. instead of like the the seemingly super evil rotten version, right. you know. Which we could have thought at the end of issue two, yeah. when there were some mm-hmm. bad things happening, but yeah. we we moved past those. But the, the colors here is great. The art is fun, but moody and evocative as well. And that's not you know, I was talking about balance, balancing the intended audience. You know, tweens and those of us who like to think young, like the old Pepsi commercial that nobody <laughs> remembers but me because I'm the only one old enough to remember it, and and have it be fun and light and dark at once with characters you care about. This is a staggeringly great book, and it was been a staggeringly great new series. I'm for in me. love with it, mm-hmm. especially the art. I am the the colors in this book are so yeah. beautiful, and Carl Kershaw's Tom Geyser Kershaw's art is just mm-hmm. yeah, oh, I love it. Yeah, I I think it's fantastic, and you mentioned. Um, the, the second issue, which I last night, um, you know, you put it on your list. So I, I, I two had come out when I was on my honeymoon and then it was in the giant pile of books that I had gotten yeah. and I, I just hadn't gotten to it. So I made sure I read two and three last night. And so they kind of bleed together for me, like what, what was happening completely. But, um, I, what, 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 what stands out to me about the series, other than the stuff we already talked about, obviously, is the fact that small little characters that pop up have so much color and so much life to them. Like this librarian that shows up for it's one scene. The bookworm. The bookworm. Like <laughs> from the old Batman television show. Yeah. It's great. So, but so vibrant and, yep. and, and, and so, so memorable just in one little scene, two pages maybe of a book. And if even that, maybe one page of the mm-hmm. entire book, which I thought was just great. And the unraveling mysteries and, and all that stuff, I, I think are great. And, you know, the, the hints, to who her mother is and who she is and what happened to her and, and why she seemingly doesn't remember a, a chunk of her life um, is it's all really fascinating and all building on itself while retaining enough of that being complex, but retaining the all ages nature mm-hmm. of it being this, this story about kids in a school and Mia is very childlike and you know, she, she references video games while she, while she's adventuring and she thinks she treats everything almost like a game, even though she's tough and she can hold her own for a little girl, but she, she very much sees it as a child. You know, it's, she doesn't see the real danger at the other end of the spectrum. You know, hunting a ghost is awesome and going to this like fiery pit is, is, is a grand adventure. And I like that those, those things are there. You know, I like that, um, she's not written as a eight-year-old who talks like a twenty-year-old. You know, she's mm-hmm. written as an eight-year-old who talks like an eight-year-old, and I, I like that stuff a lot mm-hmm. from the book. Um, yeah, and I was. Uh, it's funny. I I was. I you know my apartment doesn't have any walls or doors. <laughs> it's like basically a studio with a loft. And so when I, I go upstairs to read my book, sometimes and you know Karen's downstairs watching TV. Um, so I you know I don't. Something I could distract, even though even while I'm not really listening to what she's watching, I get distracted by the talking. And so I put on headphones, and, and I've been trying to listen to like movie or video game scores, mm-hmm. like to go along. So any of the big action books, I've been listening to like the Mass Effect soundtracks when I've been. Oh, cool! Um, but for this, I put on the Harry Potter soundtrack, <laughs> Pris- yeah, pr- the Prisoner of Azkaban soundtrack. Nice. And listened to it while I w- was reading it. One. Yeah, and it was just it just you know it great mood, and, and it brought out to me even more like those scenes where they're kind of sneaking off on the grounds at night. Mm-hmm. It really has that kind of Harry Potter feel to it and i love that about it. i love that it, it itches you know it scratched yeah. that itch one of my favorite things about having a girlfriend in canada and traveling so much to go see her is that i get that time at the airport and then on the plane where i'm reading and i just 
throw on my headphones mm. and I, I put on like a lot of instrumental stuff, explosions in the sky yeah. and, and whatnot. And just, I can read to that instrumental stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, what was that other band? Dirty Three is mm-hmm. another band that I listen to a lot when I'm reading. Yeah. And uh, it just, it makes certain books so much more epic. Yeah. And it also, even when it's, even when there's no other sound going on, it helps me focus. Mm-hmm. It focuses because then all parts of my senses are are being, you know, stimulated. So I'm not kind of like drifting with my thoughts or anything like that. I'm just laser focused mm-hmm. on the book. Um, Stephanie, did you read Gotham Academy? Yes. So what did you think? I loved it. I, I think that it just keeps getting better and better. Um, it works episodically and I think it'll work really well once it's collected uh, into volumes. Um, I can't say enough good things about um, the art. I do want to strangle the person who is doing the kilts though and just stamping it with a kilt pattern. Oh, yeah, I've noticed because that. It's universal across like the entire page. You can tell he's just doing like an entire glob on in Photoshop <laughs> and then just deleting everything else. <laughs> like you can tell because everyone's kilts are exactly the same spot. Like the lines all line up. Ah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, but other than that, <laughs> I love it so much. I think all the characters are great. I think um, they embody, like you said, Bobby, um, they really embody people their age. Uh, It it doesn't feel dumbed down. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be anything other than what it is. It's just this fun story that is very much along the lines of Harry Potter. And it's so refreshing to see. you, You kind of forget I mean, other than like the Batman stuff and things that kind of pop up in Gotham itself, you forget that it's a DC comic because it's so rare for DC to bother with a book like this. Um, And I I think it's great. I just, I can't say enough good things about it. And every time I, um, you know, like I I read an issue of all and I'm just like, oh, these guys (laughs) are great. (laughs) And uh, the creative team's great. And I want so much more like, Pommeline is amazing. She's <laughs> basically awesome. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's top notch, A plus, two thumbs up. <laughs> uh, four thumbs up, eight thumbs up. <laughs> yes. There's oh. another interesting balance here. Uh, you talked about as a trade and how it, it's reading singly. What's really difficult to do also is it's connected. And all these stories bubble up into each other, but you still feel as if you've read a self-contained, one-and-done one story that you could just hand this to somebody, read this, you'll understand. Mm-hmm. And you do. And wow. Yeah. I, I don't know if I was on the show for when the second one came out, but um, I've been at the Silver Snail uh, for its release day. And um, Nikki Alfaro, who has been on Misfits a few times, and... Has she contributed? She's done some yes. reviews. Yes, and she's been yeah. on this, this show before. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, and uh, but she replaces me usually. Yes. Um, she can't replace you. She can only be in your spot for a week. Oh, thank you. We met up with her at Fan Expo. Yeah. yeah you yeah. and I. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she she's always at the snail on Wednesdays, and I was looking uh, at my comics and picking them up, and this girl saw me pick up Gotham Academy. She's like, "Oh, do." 
do you know if this is any good? And I was like, let me tell you. And then Nikki heard that we were talking about Gotham Academy and we like gang recommended it to her. And we're like, and we're like going back and forth. I'm like, yeah, and the art and yeah, this. And then yeah, wow, this, this. Oh. And then Nikki like doesn't even work at the store. And she's like, the girl's looking at number two because we've literally like shoved it into her hands. And Nikki like disappears and comes back with number one. She's like, it's a second printing, but it's still really good. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You should just read it. And, uh, Nikki texted me, I think, uh, maybe this week or last week. I don't know. Um, Some messages again because I was away. Didn't get through until I got home. But she's like, that same girl who bought Gotham Academy came in. She bought three. She bought three. (laughs) (laughs) So gang recommendations. Well, I It's one of those things I recommend to everybody when mm-hmm. they're talking about well, how do you get a younger person into comics or it's fathers and daughters, mothers and daughters, mothers yeah. and sons or whatever. This is a book you can each read, get something out of individually and together and how rare is that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's great. I think we, we, always, we always struggle. We always used to struggle when people would ask us current series for people mm-hmm. to pick up from mm-hmm. the big two. You know, there's, pl- there's plenty oh, of the other publishers. Yeah, Lumberjanes yeah. or whatever you want. Yeah. And, and this has made it, you know, you have a surefire, you know, obviously taste is taste, but a surefire, this is a really good book. You, it's coming month to month to month. So it gets, the other important thing is trades are great, you know, and, and obviously some of us are going more that way or, or and stuff like that. But if you want to get a new reader to get into the, the habit of buying comics the way the industry needs them to buy it so they can yeah. survive, they need something month to month that they can buy. You know, trades are great, but they can go to Barnes & Noble buy a trade. It's not going to help the digital sales numbers for anyone. It's not going to help the physical sales numbers for individual issues on either side. So I think getting someone like every month, Gotham Academy, and then yeah. you know, they see that, and then they see Lumberjanes, or they go, they then they actually see, you know, whether, whether it be one of the licensed book like Adventure Time or Transformers or My Little Pony or Ninja sure. Turtles or something yeah. like, oh my god, I love this stuff, and then all of a sudden they get into it more, and then all of a sudden they're branching out farther and farther. Yeah. So it's a great gateway book, I think. Yeah, it gets people into the store. Yeah, and that's what you, everything that whole cornucopia shows up mm-hmm. for you there. It's like, wow, I didn't know they did that, yeah. or yeah. there was a book about that. Yeah, and, wow, what a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. And so kudos to Mark Doyle and Dan Didio for yeah. taking a chance on this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We I say agree. enough bad things about them. Yeah. Here's it's you know <laughs> I've we don't me, really. I think Mark Doyle's really uh, especially somebody to, you know, we don't talk about the editors a lot, but I, he's the one that really championed this book. Yeah. Um and we need more editors that will stand up and Amen. say this is what you need. This is what not just we need, you know, the readers need. Yeah. So kudos to Mark Doyle. And I just want to quickly say one more thing about Nikki because she's awesome. And this gang recommendation thing, if you're ever at the Silver Snail on Wednesday, find Nikki. I've never met anybody who is like embodies the whole idea of being welcoming into the community. <laughs> so I just wanted to say that because like gang recommended that book to, you know, this girl. And I was like, Bye. And Nikki's like, "Hi, I'm Nikki. Who are you?" Is this like your first time here? Like she like went right ahead and was like, "Let me tell you about the Silver Snail." And like, if you need any help, I don't work here, but you can ask me. It was like the wow. nicest thing, and I think more people need to be like Nikki. So, yay, Nikki! Yay, Nikki! <laughs> no, she was great on our show. Yes, well, and certainly on yours. Well, you're, it's, not, it's your show, but you're not on it when she's on it. She so. glows. <laughs> she well, glows sometimes. Oh. Oh. No. So sweet. Okay. So now a book that isn't for kids. Uh, it's Dynamite. They have a new number one. It is Shaft, number one, based on 
the character created by Ernest Heidemann in a series of novels back in the late 60s and 70s, and of course, the well-remembered Gordon Parks 1971 movie starring Richard Roundtree. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the book itself, you know, someone asked me, well, why would they do a comic book about Shaft? Licensed, by the way, by Mr. Tidyman's widow. So fully licensed from the creator of the character itself. There was certainly the Black Panther and the Falcon, and there were black actors in movies and so on and so forth. John Shaft is the first African-American hero in mass media. And there, it became, in the way that Halloween is the first slasher movie, even though it isn't a slasher movie, Shaft is thought of as the first black exploitation movie where the movie itself really isn't. It's a really just ripping great detective story that happens to have this really cool character in the lead. And an awesome soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Isaac Hayes, who won the Academy Award and came out and sang the theme from Shaft with about 14 semi-naked women <laughs> wearing a chain vest with fog everywhere. How else would you do it? Well, but in 1971, that wasn't what the Oscars did. <laughs> there were all these old people that were dead already. They just didn't know it, sitting in the audience going, mm, while Isaac was rocking the house. But anyway, so I'm a huge fan of the, the Richard Roundtree films. I've got a bag of the movies here. There's a television show from the 70s with Richard Roundtree they did for CBS. The soundtrack albums here. By the way, at the end of this issue... There's a soundtrack you can play. Oh, nice. That you can sort of you pick the songs, and one of them is uh, from Shaft in Africa. It's the Four Tops, Sorry, Man Enough. And this book is written by David F. Walker, not David T. Walker, who played guitar on that song, <laughs> and drawn by Bilquis Evely, who is doing the Doc Savage Man of Bronze for Dynamite. And so you get some really lovely, very gritty sort of street scenes. And this is a book that, because of my love for this character, could have either been really fun addition to the the canon or an absolute disaster and i'm happy to report it's the former so it's not miss fury it is not Not miss fury so the dynamite's credit they really knocked this one out of the park it is sort of the shaft origin story we see him here he's just back from vietnam he's getting work as a professional boxer and some of the local hoodlums tell him you got to throw this fight and we get some, no, uh, is, this, is this a, by the way, this is very much for adults. There's a lot of strong language and uh, some racial epithets, but it's all in character what these novels were and what the movies was. It's the, it's that world, but beware. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say mm-hmm. it, it makes a lot more sense for John Shaft to say one of these bad words than ha- when Miss Fury said them. <laughs> Right. It's so, amazing anyway. how something like that would be so much more offensive than what we read earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, but Shaft is told he's got to throw this fight. So he says, well, you can't ask a fighter to give up. Boxing is a sport. Fighting is life or death. How we fight determines how we live. Choices. How we live is determined by the choices we make when we fight. Nice. So, and it's, again, some lovely artwork. Just a really fun book. I highly recommended if you're into... There's so many books on doing crime stuff or whatever. This is one of the original bad guys <laughs> in, and bad in the good sense. Mm-hmm. So Shaft number one from Dynamite, David F. Walker and Bilquis Evely. All right. Very cool. What are your thoughts on the Samuel Jackson Shaft? Well, the, the fact that it had Richard Roundtree in it, mm. at least he then wasn't really playing John Shaft. My problem with that movie is the first half of it, first 45 minutes, Christian Bale's character mm. is oily and vicious and rotten uh jeffrey wright's great in it the the uh what's her, what's the, uh tony collette okay really great 
and the movie goes off the rails near the end when it tries to replicate some of the in the original Shaft movie he recruits some sort of black revolutionaries to help him there's a war between the mafia and a Harlem gangster and he needs them as the in-between and that's what that kind of ends with and it, it all just fell apart Sam Jackson could play the real Shaft mm-hmm. he was given the real Shaft to play in a movie as he could look Shaft is frankly the model for Luke Cage mm. I mean that came that came out in 73 that's who this is based on Shaft's office is over a movie theater the way Luke's was Sam Jackson if you go back to when he started playing Nick Fury could have played Mm-hmm. Chef then could have played Luke Cage. You got to give him the right thing to do. Right. And sadly, that movie—that's the one like piece of Chef thing I don't own. Gotcha. Because I just can't stand half of it. My first exposure to any of any Chef thing at all was not even Chef. I was watching. There's an episode of the X Files where I remember where they are. They're in, we're sitting in some motel, and there's like a vampire kid or something, mm-hmm. and it attacks Mulder, and Scully comes to wake him up, and she's like trying to wake him up, and he's all delirious, and he goes, you a bad motherfucker. Shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I was like laughing hysterically. I have no idea what it meant. And then my, my dad oh my was like, God. oh, that's from Shaft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bob, have you seen the movie Black Dynamite? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Movie night. Okay. <laughs> movie night. We're doing Absolutely. Black I'll, I'll bring them the Shaft movies, too. Right. We'll, nice. We'll double them up. Nice. All right. Awesome. So, um, Shaft number one. Yes. All right. Stephanie, what do you got for us? Oh, nothing. Nothing? Okay. <laughs> I've already talked myself All right. to death. So, I'm just going to um, skip you. Yeah, no. I, I've got at least one thing to talk about. And um, it's I, I could have, you know, piped in when <laughs> Steve was like, Steph will be talking about this later. And be like, spoilers. Uh, but, Sorry. Like no, no. Two weeks ago, I tw- when I wasn't on the show. It's probably more than two weeks ago. I have a horrible sense of time. Um, I was like, "This is my book of the week." <laughs> so I spoiled it myself, yes. like a while back, <laughs> long before you did. Um, and that book is uh, "Through the Woods" by Emily Carroll. And uh, I didn't want to leave it as just uh, something I tweeted about because I feel like it's something that deserves to be uh, discussed. And I know Steve has read it, and uh, I, don't, I don't know. Bobby, did you get around to reading it? I know. I haven't gotten it yet. I'm actually okay, going, okay. going to buy it this week. Awesome. Well, you won't be disappointed. Um, but basically, this is uh, five short stories written and drawn by Emily Carroll. Um, she kind of has this style that's a bit like uh, Kate Beaton, uh, the artist and writer of Hark a Vagrant. Um, but... A little more sophisticated. It's kind of like Ryan Andrews, who did Sarah and the Seed meets Kate Beaton's art. Um, I Occasionally feel like Tim Burton. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, Steve is fanning through it, uh, looking at it. It's just amazing. A little bit, yeah. Um, and it's... There's some people, when you read anthologies, um, especially things like uh, Womanthology, the space one, or just the regular uh, volume that they released... Um, you can really tell who has a knack for writing short stories and who just, you know, didn't know how to end a story that was longer, um, but mm. they had to, you know, bring it down from 20 pages to four. Um, anyways, my point being is Emily Carroll has five stories in this book, and each one of them, I think, is better than the next Uh I'm I'm not really into horror, but I've been trying to expand my horizons mm-hmm. with movies, books, uh, comics, and anything else, and kind of just uh, grow uh, as far as genres grow go. 
grow. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't want to talk about the stories themselves too much, but each one of them is really different too. You know, there's this, and they're they're not really traditional either. You know, there's kind of a subtle creepiness about each story. Uh, like, it kind of haunts you in a way. Mm -hmm. There's some stuff that just stays with you. And you, I find myself thinking about them and kind of being like, wow, I wonder what this, like, you know, would have been like. Or, I don't know, not necessarily what they would have been like, but you just find yourself coming back to them and kind of thinking about what she, how she came up with these stories that are just incredibly original you know like one girl uh one of the stories is about um uh, like somebody who's betrothed to marry um a lord and it it's kind of told with this song um and the the panels that the way they get laid out you know like the song just kind of goes across both pages and even the way this is kind of a weird thing to also say, but even the way she writes and letters the books is creepy without yeah. being creepy. Oh, it's totally creepy. Um, and you just think, oh, where's this going to go? And then this ends like on the next page. How is this going to wrap up? And then it does. And you're just like, I'm so creeped out right now. Like, <laughs> I don't want to turn off the lights. I, I just don't. I'm going to sleep with the lights on. <laughs> that's normal it's totally normal people are scared of the dark everyone's scared of the dark people are scared of the dark it's a thing especially when you're like in your late 20s totally totally a cat that can crawl up your back at any moment yeah, <laughs> yeah little menace um she disappeared because i wasn't paying attention to her either um but yeah like it, it's i don't know just the most wonderfully unnerving comic that you could possibly <laughs> read um i'm just looking at this one <laughs> this one thing where it's like one eye of a wolf with like the outline yes. of um, his yes. face in blood and it's just his fangs and it just says but the wolf the wolf only needs enough luck to find you once yep the and one where he's in just, the window yeah oh Nightmares, 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 nightmares. So good, nightmares. though. I think I blocked this one out, actually, because this one is, like, giving me all new... That, <laughs> that drawing of, of, of the teeth, the outline of the teeth inside of the window, messed me up. Mm-hmm. I read it, this, like, 7 o'clock this morning, and it really messed me up. <gasps> At least you read it in the morning. I, read it I know, night. but I had, I had just woken up, and I'm like, I'm going to read through the woods. And I read it, and I was like, I, know, I was going to go back to bed, but now I'm going to make a cup of coffee instead. <laughs> It's, I don't know, they're weird, but amazing. There's like this one story about this woman that's kind of possessed, not possessed. I guess like it's sort of a body snatcher story. Hmm. Uh, just, I don't want to carry on about the stories themselves. You guys honestly need to read it. Um, even if you don't like horror stuff, mm -hmm. you can appreciate this on the level of um, just great storytelling. Emily Carroll's in Toronto. No, she's not Toronto. She's a uh, Stratford, so a play uh, town, Stratford Theater Festival hmm. thing. Um, but yeah, she 
she's a person that lives not too far from here. Canadians. Um, <laughs> we're taking over the world. Uh, Peacefully and politely. I, I know. That actually just made me think of Tim Hortons. And it made me think of a headline yesterday where it said, Snake was thrown at Tim Hortons employee over a chopped onion dispute. <laughs> I, I don't know why. Uh, anyways, but yeah, uh, I don't even know what I'm talking if, about. If anything. I could just say something Steve, about yes, the book real quick. Do. Okay. I'm talking about chopped onions and snakes. <laughs> I, I, this book um, is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Art wise, it is just really gorgeous and something to behold but it reminded me a lot of and i I mentioned this last uh about two weeks ago when i was talking about um the undertaking lily chen in regard to artwork but in terms of story the five stories feel very much like the scary stories to tell in the dark you know like campfire stuff but emily carroll has got this she's got like this voice about her there's a there's a sense of dread right from the first page like the first story the introduction is only uh two pages long and right from then and there you get a sense of who's writing this book and that ever since they were little probably that they've believed in things underneath the bed and monsters in the closet and stuff like that and now they're a writer and an artist and they're telling you these scary stories and some of this stuff is really really unnerving and it's it pulls from a lot of stories you've heard before, but does it with like the art just cinches that feeling for you. And I I absolutely positively loved it, um, every bit of it. I don't even remember when I picked it up. I think I picked it up at Fan Expo, but um, I'd heard so many people talk about it, and uh, I'm so glad. I knew that Stephanie was going to talk about it, so I was like, oh, let me read this now, and it was wonderful. Um, and to her credit, a little butt kissing. I was actually thinking about this this morning. Um, when Stephanie talks about like off the off the beaten path books like this, you definitely should listen because some of the books that she's recommended on the show have become some of my favorite books of all time. Uh, two books that I pick up constantly and even today was Hark a Vagrant. Started rereading it for like the sixth time today. And uh, Adventures of Superhero oh, Girl yes. is one of the other ones. So some of my favorite like one off graphic novels of all time come from her. So thank you, Steph. Aw, thanks, <laughs> buddy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's. I don't even have enough good words to say about Through the Woods. You said something that made me think. I'm just going to say one more quick thing about this book and also my personal life, in which um, once upon a time, uh, when I was like 10, I pretended to be possessed by a ghost at my house when my friend was over because she was annoying me. So I thought <laughs> I would scare her. <laughs> so I pretended to be possessed by a ghost. Um, and one of the stories kind of reminded me a bit of that. Um, do, you, do you know which one I'm talking about? I do, do yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but except it was actually scary. <laughs> and I was just being a jerk. <laughs> so, yeah. Good times. I was a horrible child. <laughs> uh, I, Bobby, I know I said I'd only had one thing, but I just want to quickly mention... Um, something that I picked up that was really cool at, in Malta. Are you guys aware that I went to Malta? I think we know, yes. Let's talk about this more. Mm-hmm. No, uh, but uh, I'm going to add on one quick thing about the trip there. Um, to anyone who's kind of been to more than one show in North America, uh, I, I go to shows pretty regularly for work. And to they become um, 
varying degrees of the same thing. Uh, you know, each show is kind of exactly the same. You can find the same sort of exhibitors over and over and over again, the same artists with just kind of interchangeable big guests. Um, and I love it. I do. But it is, you know, you you come to expect uh, just certain people. I don't wind up buying a lot of stuff because, you know, it's like, oh, well, I'll see them next month in New York. Oh, I'll see them at this. Oh, so I don't wind up buying things. Um, so Malta was really refreshing because there's a lot of different artists and uh, creators uh, that, you know, haven't made it over to uh, our conventions yet. And obviously it's very expensive for European small press people to come uh, here to, well, you know, exhibit. So going to the show was kind of like seeing a convention for the very first time. Um, I knew a couple people, but for the most part, it was like completely new to me. And um, I wound up consequently buying a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> and one of the things that I picked up just on a whim was this book uh, called Pilot Comic Anthologies, or Anthology. And each year, uh, this, this group, Pilot Comics, um, they choose a theme. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and uh, like last year, they did a medieval theme. And this year they did uh, mythologies. And like I said, uh, anthologies can be hit and miss. You know, sometimes you really like the story, but you hate the art. Sometimes you love the art, you hate the story. Sometimes they, it's just like the perfect mix of both. Um, it's very rare for a small press uh, company to have, you know, outstanding stories from start to finish. Uh, Through the Woods, I think, was an exception, but because Emily Carroll kind of held um, the creative power in her own hands because she did everything. Um, and while I don't love everything in this book, there's a few really interesting stories that uh, made it into here that I was reading today. And I just wanted to kind of, you know, give uh, a heads up to look for cool stuff like this. I think this is the last book from uh, Pilot Comic Anthologies, but um, yeah, it was just really cool. And it's different stuff than you see here that's done over and over again with mythology. Like there's um, uh, like some stuff about uh, like, mm, let's see, there's like a bunch of Irish uh, folklore myths and um, like some Viking stuff. And just stuff that you don't typically see, you know, like, I think a lot of people do fairy tale stuff and pass it off as mythology, and it is, and you hear about, like, Greek mythology a lot, and I love that, but um, some of the stuff that takes place in uh, Europe you don't see as often, like, I don't know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, I mean, all of them kind of come from Europe, inevitably, but I don't know. This is just a really cool book. Um, the first story that I read, I think, was called... Uh, oh, God, I can't even say this. Good Lord, why did I open this to try and pronounce things? Uh, layer of the king. Um, <laughs> I can't even say people's names in this. Why? What? I just wanted to give a heads up and be like, wow, I really love the, the story by these people. I should have looked at this preemptively. <laughs> David Mercisa. 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 
Mercy. One God. of those three is right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. M E R C I E C A. And Fleur Scoriotino. Scoriotino. <laughs> Yeah. It's a good old-fashioned Stephanie can't pronounce the names <laughs> segment right there. Yeah. Uh, and then the layer of the Rudolph King. It's D-R-A-U-G-R. Uh, that doesn't seem like a word I can pronounce either. Anyways, it's really cool. I really loved the art. If anyone's read Amala's Blade, it it's reminiscent of that style a bit. And the other story that I read was really creepy uh, and it was called, <laughs> I'm going to say Ozin and the Font of Youth. It's, and I'm not saying this right because it's like Gaelic. It's O-I-S-I-N um, by Ayala and Elizabeth Malia. Melia. Yep. Um, I, I met a girl in Malta and her name was spelled C-L-I-O-D-H-N-A. And it's like, what the shit is this name? <laughs> what? Who is this? And I, and she just like went by this, but thankfully she was the like one of the first people I met. And she's like, yeah, everybody. She's Irish, and she's like, yeah, everybody has the same reaction. She's like, it's Kleena. I'm like, how do you get Kleena out of whatever the hell is that? You're like, there's squiggly lines and letters that just don't belong. It's like trying to speak Russian, where you just take all the vowels out of every word and then it's just like pronounce this you can't those aren't words <laughs> anyway how much trouble i got in with patrick barney mcalear over oh, yeah. saoirse ronan uh, yeah saoirse spelled s-a-o-r-i-s-e yeah. saoirse yeah I, I i can see that yeah i know i love i love hearing uh gaelic being spoken like i think it's such a cool language and it looks yeah. really really beautiful on paper like i think it looks so elegant but the moment you try and uh, break that connection from looking at it and kind of admiring the beauty of it to um, <laughs> trying to pronounce it, just like, then it's a horrible language. <laughs> <laughs> it just automatically becomes awful. But um, these, I just wanted to say that those two stories, which I obviously got very, very sidetracked with, um, were wonderful. And I, I loved everything about them. And um, especially the... Ozen and the Font of Youth, it really kind of stuck with me. Um, it, it's the story of a woman who, a, a man and a woman who fall in love, and uh, he wants to be with her, but she like, tells him, you know, you can't give up your family and friends in, like, your town. Like, you don't want to, and to be with me, you have to give up everything. And um, he doesn't realize that um, she's one of the immortal people, uh, like, I forget the name of, um, blurk, 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 um, yeah, so Tiernanog, so they're like the land of the, blah, 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 the Tuatha, de, de, nope, <laughs> they're the immortals, so, you know, he falls in love with an immortal, and she gives him, like, the power of being an immortal, but if he ever goes back, um, he'll, you know, lose everything, and it's one of those tales where they always have to go back. They can never be happy with what they got. <laughs> Damn peasants. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anyways, really well, cool book. What and, was the name of the book again, Stephanie? Uh, it's called it's called Mythologies, but it's by Pilot Comic Anthology. Okay, cool. Awesome. Mm -hmm. 
Awesome. All right. So moving on to my books of the week, I'm actually going to talk about one book, and I'm also going to talk about uh, a little bit of the Flash Arrow crossover episode. Oh, yes. Yeah. Let's talk about that, please. So um, the book I'm going to talk about is Angela, Asgard's Assassin, number one. Uh, Kieran Gillen uh, and Marguerite Bennett with art by uh, Phil Jimenez and Stephanie Hans. Now, the way the book is divided up is that there is the, the main story, which is written by Gillen and illustrated by Jimenez. And then there is a flashback kind of side story that's written by Gillen and Bennett um, with art by Stephanie Hans. Um, the art across the board in this book is absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Phil Jimenez's stuff is wonderful, but no surprise at that. But we don't get to see him do much work anymore. He doesn't do much regular work anymore. So mm-hmm. getting to see his layouts and his pages and you know just everything that he does um, is, is really, really staggering. I, I love the way that he draws Angela. I love the way that he draws these kind of orcish creatures that, that inhabit this world. Um, you know, I, I love that the, I, I just love the way the people look. And then the Stephanie Hans stuff, of course, is it's, it's gorgeous, painted, amazing artwork, th- th- this flashback stuff. So the premise of Angela agent of um, assassin of Asgard, sorry, is after the events of the uh, Thor and Loki 10th uh, realm, um, Angela is kind of a person without a home because she is banished by the angels because she is a, a, technically a daughter of Asgard and they hate Asgard and she doesn't want to be part of Asgard either. Um, mm. and, and so she is in this, she's kind of just off on her own and, and the, the, the book starts and she's walking through limbo to get to this sort of limbo town. Um, and you don't really know why. And, the story unfolds from there and you get kind of several different perspectives as far as the timing goes. You get to see, you know, what happened to make her the way that that she is and why she gets there. And then you get to see, you know, what kind of what's going forward. And there's a couple of big battle scenes in the book that I think are great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love this sort of relationship between her and then the other main character in the book and there's a, a great reveal um, at the end of the book as well about, uh, you know, why uh, she's being chased. Because the whole point of she's being chased through Limbo and mm-hmm. she's, you know, holding off these hordes and you get to see a great illustration of her powers and all this stuff. And kind of her friend is kind of telling someone else, you know, this is what Angela is and what she does. All that stuff is great. And I think I think the main story is awesome. Uh, I probably even like the side story more. Uh, because it delves deeper into Angela's psyche, her her philosophy, who mm-hmm. she is, and tells you kind of what this race of angels, what they're all about. And the whole point of that story is that there is, you know, n- nothing is free. The, everything comes with something. And if you, you know, the, the angels don't save people unless there is a debt that they're going to collect from them. So she, there's a story about her saving this planet and this family, but she tells the family like, I'm coming to collect my debt. Um, set off with your son whenever he grows, grows of age, she comes back to collect the debt. And it's not necessarily like, I'm going to kill him. It's just like, I will, I will get something from him so that the scores are even because the scores Mm -hmm. always have to be even. I will take something from him. And she, there's something that she wants from him. She goes to him and he won't give that thing up. Uh, and, and so there is a big thing that happens in, in, in that scene. And she's a really fascinating character because I, I think that she is, she's a good guy. Absolutely. But 
she's not this black and white kind of good guy. You know, she she's a little bit ruthless. She she reminds me sort of Sonia in, in I was some just ways. Say you know, she reminds me of Sonia. You know, she she if you deserve to get your head chopped off, she's going to chop your head off. Like it's just the way it is. There's no, there's nothing. She doesn't see it as a, a moral ambiguity. It's just, this is the right way and this is the wrong way. And if you're not doing things the right way, you're, you're done. That's kind of the way she operates. And I think that Kieran Gillen is a perfect person to do this character because if you read his Journey to Mystery stuff, you know that he he plays very heavily into gray areas and mm-hmm. dealing with characters who don't necessarily always do the 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 quote unquote good thing, but but how sometimes to be a hero it means doing it your own way, right. and that that seems to be what the theme of this is going to be. Uh, I you know I really really loved it. I I think that it, it, the art is wonderful. I think the story is good. I think the action is fun, and it's got this nice mix of kind of sci-fi but also swords and sandals type of feel to it. And I really really liked it a lot. Um, Steve, did you read it? I did. I did. I had something very unfortunate happen to me uh, when reading it. And anybody who's from Long Island, you might know what I'm talking about here. But um, one of the repeated phrases in the book is the term nothing for nothing. Mm -hmm. My mom says that. Oh, really? (laughs) All the time. And she grew up the majority. She lived in Florida for a while, but she grew up mostly here. So she always says it as nothing for nothing. (laughs) And then she'll go on ranting about something like I do. Mm. I got it from her. For forever and a day, it's like if you ask her a simple question, you'll get this epic tale before you actually reach the end. And as soon as I saw that phrase, I could not get like these oh. Long Island soccer mom voices out of my head, and it completely screwed me on the whole book. Um, I think it is absolutely beautiful. I'm looking forward to sitting down with it and reading it again without that in my head fran drescher assassin oh, Asgard, God. it wasn't that bad but it was pretty damn close but i do i do like what's going on in the book i expected a little bit more from it for as much as i absolutely love like the Thorverse. um i don't know what was missing in it for me but i'm, I'm definitely picking up a second issue stephanie hans is one of my favorite artists in comics uh her pages were absolutely just breathtaking uh and and phil jimenez is stuff is was spectacular as well i think if i read it again i'm gonna fall in love with it but like i read it right before coming over to the show and that one part of it just every came up like four different times they mentioned it Mm -hmm. and every time i got out of it it came right back Hmm. but yeah no it did remind me i felt like i was reading marvel's version of red sonia Mm -hmm. when i when i was reading it which is which is a great thing you know um and I'm also very, very interested in the character, and I absolutely love the creative team that's on it. Yeah. So like I said, I think once I sit down with it again, I'm, I'm going to really get into it. Mm. Stephanie, you said you read it, right? I did. What I did you think of it? really enjoyed it. Um, it really reminded me of uh, the Angela story that Neil Gaiman wrote with Greg Capullo. And uh, Angela is one of Neil Gaiman's creations. Uh, so, you know, anything that, you know comes after should probably have some uh hint of what that character was when the person who made them created or wrote them it's starting to sound like me yeah um and i i felt like angela actually had some semblance of that um in the fact that she's not this perfect hero assassin uh she's not quite like an anti-hero either like she's just kind of in limbo for everything 
Um, she's got her own set of rules and moral code. Uh, and she lives by it. Like those, those things are sacred to her. Um, she is a lot like Red Sonia, but I think, I don't know. I don't want to say better, but I want to say better. I like her better. Um, she just, she just is awesome. Sounds better. <laughs> yeah. She's got them cool ribbons. They're like, what I, I really enjoy in the, the Neil Gaiman issue where they, he feels the need to explain that um, she's not cold because uh, like there, because she's in like three feet of snow in her bikini. <laughs> and uh, so like the ribbons keep you warm. <laughs> How do those keep you warm? <laughs> How? They're magic. Apparently. Magic ribbons. But um, I really do like the story uh, that went along with it. And I, I agree. I really liked the side story. And I felt like um, even though that wasn't uh, Angela, Angela's story being told herself, but it, I, I think it gave us a lot of insight into the character and what kind of person she is. Um, and especially of the coach he lives by. Uh, the art was just jaw-droppingly beautiful. And if you read this for no other reason, uh, read it to just gawk at the art. Um, I, I loved the way that Angela was drawn. I loved the way that everyone in this book was drawn. Like, it was almost as though people have different body shapes and stuff. Yeah, true. <gasps> yes. I was just like... Uh-huh. What? What is this? Yeah. <laughs> this concept. It's like real life, but like in a comic book. Shocking. Dun, I mean, dun, other dun. than the bikinis and stuff, but still crazy. Yeah, I mean, um, her friend like looked like a like she was a warrior. Like she could kick yeah. your ass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she looked like, you know, how when Wonder Woman's drawn well, Wonder Woman should be, you know, like mm-hmm. Amazonian. You've got she's got muscle, um, and you just know that she's practiced kickboxing, and you definitely don't want to get her mad enough that she'll kick you. Yeah, yeah. she looks like she can kick your head off. Yeah, um, <laughs> she's got and those Chun Li thighs. Yeah, I think more than the story and more than anything else, like I just really appreciated that everyone had um, a distinct look to them. Uh, their facial expressions were, you know, spot on. Everyone, you could tell what was happening um, without having to read, you know, what was happening. Uh, yeah. And that's not to say that the story doesn't do its job. It does. The The marriage between the writers and the artists work really, really well. But I think that the art does an exceptional job. So, yeah. Awesome, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, no surprise, obviously, that Phil Jimenez is able to do yeah. that kind of stuff with yeah. his, his history. But and he's a you know huge advocate of uh, these female characters and portraying them in a you know accurate ish way. Yeah, one of the great Wonder Woman runs in the modern era. Mm. Mm-hmm. So another thing I want to talk about was I want to talk about the the Flash and Arrow did a big crossover, which uh, you know. Um, it was it was huge. I think it got biggest ratings ever for Arrow and Flash uh, as well, which are two of the CW's biggest shows at this point. But mm-hmm. more the commercial side of it, the, the creative side of it, uh, I uh, I really really enjoyed uh, both episodes. I, I thought that the, the the one thing that initially disappointed me about them was that it's a crossover. One shows up in one town, one shows up in the other, and the cases are kind of loosely connected, but they're very much standalone episodes. So you don't have to have watched 
you don't have to watch both Flash and Arrow to mm-hmm. watch those respective episodes. They made sure that if you were only watching one of those shows, you could watch that episode. And things would obviously be a little bit off because there'd be different characters flying around, but that it would still work for you, which I, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And but I think I would have I was hoping for one big long story that crossover right. both. Uh, what I did really like about it is I think that um, putting the characters into each other's worlds really brings out some of the best um, in both people, especially I think Barry interacting with Ollie kind of on the job at this point, he, they don't ignore the fact that Ollie is much more extreme than Barry is. You know, it's not like Barry watches him shoot people with arrows and Barry's like, oh, cool. And let's just go around, run around. He has like major problems with what the way Oliver deals with his issues, you know, there's a big stuff about, you know, Oliver kind of tortures somebody to get information. You know, you don't see it happen, but he, he basically, he shoots like, he shoots like an arrow into his leg and one into his arm and, you know, basically like screams in his face to get the information out of him. (laughs) Barry, not very, very happy about this. Um, And, but in the same way, Oliver, you know, deals with what, how Barry, you know, the fact that all the villains already have nicknames and stuff like that. And there's a scene where kind of Ollie is like, you know, it, Barry, you live in Central City where the sun is always out and you give your um, villains cute nicknames. You know, this is not, you know, I live in a city where, you know, people are constantly trying to kill me every single moment of my life. My, my, I watch my mother die, all these kind of things, you know. So I, I, I thought the, the way they pulled both characters off each other was really nice. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it also brought out, um, it made Ollie more like, I think, Batman than, than ever in this series because he had to really use his brain you know, dealing with where, you know, Barry can just run as fast as he wants to run. So there's some like, training sequences and stuff that are very cool and, and really bring out, you know, how smart Oliver is. So I thought both of those things worked uh, really, really well uh, for both those shows. And I got to say, it's probably one of my favorite scenes. It's such a little, it's not even a scene, it's a moment. There's a moment where some really dark crap is happening. It's on the arrow side of things. And they're all in like the arrow cave, which is what <laughs> Barry decides to call it. Um, and Barry has just done a bunch of running, so he has to go out and get something to eat. And they're in there talking about this really serious thing. And Barry pops back up, and he's got like his mask off and his feet up on the desk, and he's like <laughs> popping sushi into his mouth yeah. while they're talking about the really dark thing. And it was just a great. This is like a, it's a flash moment, you know. Yeah. I can see that in a in a comic book th- that happening, and I really really loved uh, that moment of it. I think that Grant Gustin is great. He is great uh, um, as Barry Allen, and I think that I loved getting to see also because you get to see Oliver and Stephen Mel have a little bit of fun. Which yeah. you don't really get to see very often, right? He when he's in Central City, he's doing sort of like fun stuff, and he he gets like this a smirk on his face and stuff when he's kind of showing mm-hmm. Barry how it's supposed to go, um, and I, I like that stuff a lot. I thought I right. thought the the crossover was great. I thought maybe the Arrow episode was a little bit better for me just because I felt like the differences between the characters were illustrated better, and I thought the villain in the Arrow episode was better using Boomerang Captain Boomerang as the villain. I thought was better than the than the first time around mm-hmm. what do you think of it steve did you see it yeah i did what'd you what'd you think i did i enjoyed it um there were teeny tiny little things that i noticed about it that were a little odd uh i can't remember her name diggles um lila lila <laughs> i'm not gonna spoil it it's a pretty big moment um there's a there's a point where she's firing at somebody and it looks as if she's firing into the sky like it's they should have done another take. It was for somebody as skilled as she is. It looked really dumb. Um, but I like the idea of having the two characters on screen together and how well it worked for that amount of time for two whole episodes. 
And I was kind of remembering when Stephen Mel had come out about the flash casting and really went to bat for, for Grant Gustin's character mm. and what he's been doing with the flash and, you know, really kind of put himself out there and was like, you know, we're a part of this thing and, and whatever. And, you know, you made a mistake by not bringing him into mm. the fold. So with that in mind, yeah, I got the the impression that they're pretty good friends. Mm. So to see them working together on this crossover episode, it was fun to look for those little things and to watch the chemistry between them and stuff like that. And um, both, it just, it was a nice showcase of how both shows are solid and can pull off something like that and have it be exciting and have it be funny and kind of bring out the darkness in one character and then bring out the light in the other. Um, and it was like a who's, for a moment, it was like a whose life is worse competition <laughs> between them. Um, but then they reach a point in that discussion where you you see that these two very different heroes are fighting on equal ground in some respects. And it kind of humbles the both of them in that moment. And they kind of have this quiet respect for one another after that. And then, you know, advice is taken to heart more. And the situation, they realize that what they're doing is very dire. You know, they they make they make this uh, comparison to fighting metahumans versus just, you know, crazy people running around. And Barry and his team, up until this point, have kind of been, you know, just having fun with his powers, see what he can do, goofing around. He could die. He almost has died. At least three episodes, he almost died. And I think being in Arrow's world, they kind of realized a little bit that they need to wisen up and kind of start buckling down a little bit and not being so uh, fancy with some of their stuff. Um, and anything with Cisco, I absolutely <laughs> love Cisco. I think he's hysterical. Cool. I had a good time with it. It was yeah, fun. Yeah. I there was a lot of snark going around. People were calling it Flaro. <laughs> and stuff like that online and so i tried not to pay too much attention to that stuff because i didn't want people to snark it to death where i just couldn't take it seriously aside from that one moment of her shooting up into the air i thought the rest of it was great and i've been really liking the the new flashback stuff in the in arrow i think the, the, the stuff in china yeah has been great yeah. and we're gonna see the katana action in one of the most recent episodes. really cool support characters yeah. uh for that that string yeah this past um yeah, I thought that was great, and I'm I'm excited to see where we kind of go on from here. But I love also Diggle's reaction to seeing Barry run for the first time yeah. was fantastic. <laughs> was was just great. Um, yeah, and uh, I gotta say too, I haven't talked about it very much. I freaking love Brandon Routh on the show. Yes, as uh, Ray Palmer, I think he's yes. amazing, and we, we're starting the first hints of the Adam stuff happening now as well. So it's pretty cool. I've got a question for you before we probably mm. go to the break. Yeah, how do you feel about sci-fi doing Krypton? Oh, we're going to talk about that. We have, we have a listener question. Oh, okay. about that. Ah, so we'll, we'll wait. Cool. To, we'll wait to talk about that. Um, and you happen to know Bob that um, Ray Palmer, he in, in the show, he bought, he kind of took over Queen Consolidated, took over all Queen's business. And he wants to rename Starling City, Star City. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> That's what it so, should be. Stephanie, are you all caught up? I know you were, I saw you kind of tweeting about catching up, but I don't know if that was before or after this, uh, these two episodes. Yeah, it was before. So okay. um, I'm, I'm still working on catching up with everything. Uh, I kind of, you know, because nobody can just not tweet things as they watch stuff nowadays. <laughs> so I, I know kind of what's going on, but right. I have yet to sit down and watch them myself. Cool. All right. Well, I hope you enjoy them when you do. But until then, we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back and we're going to do some listener questions.
are back and we're here to answer some listener questions. Um, we've got a bunch. We got a lot of them. So Facebook was blowing up today. Facebook blew up. We got a lot of Twitters or uh, Twitters tweets tweet, tweet, as Twitter. well. Oh. <laughs> Sound like Bob? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That twittering will get to you every time. So let's start with uh, Randy Ochoa. He says, what non-Big 2 comic book character or series would you love to see in a Batman 66 style show? I'm sure oh, wow. Bob is shaking his head oh, already. God. No, I, I have some that are Big 2, so we won't even talk about them. But I'd love to see Plastic Man done that way. But <laughs> but non-Big 2 is the specific mm-hmm. question. Madman? Oh, that'd be cool, yeah. Oh, man. And The Rocketeer. Mm. Both very good, Bob. Yeah, those are really good. Yeah. How do you follow that up? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you can never follow up. Bob, I shouldn't have let Bob go first. Yeah, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to be the host. <laughs> can you do it with Hellboy? Yeah. Yeah. You could. I think that'd be interesting. He existed in 1966. Yeah. Yeah. BPRD66. Yeah, exactly. yeah, you know what? Yeah. A, a Hellboy awesome. universe and the 66 universe, like all kind of like capering around witchcraft and, and satanic stuff. Mm. And right, yeah. That would be with Rasputin at the at the head of everything. That'd be mm-hmm. I think that'd be cool. Um, I'm gonna say sex criminals. Hmm. In the in the sort of madman universe yeah. of the '60s. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What they couldn't say and what they'd have to allude to. That'd be very funny. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, it's kind of obvious, but what about Archie? Yeah. That'd be absolutely. Cool. That was my first. That, that would work, right? Sabrina, maybe. In that, in that yeah. mold as well. Not obviously the Sabrina that's in the current uh, yeah. or ongoing, because hmm. that'd be very dark. How about Velvet? Velvet would definitely work. Yeah, she's very serious. Yeah. So uh, this is from Lisa on Twitter. Oh, crush! What two mm-hmm. characters from any two comics would you like to see in a romantic relationship? I'm going last. So. Okay. <laughs> Superman and Lois Lane. <laughs> uh, awesome. That'd be nice. Um. Ollie and Dinah would be nice as well. Bob, why don't you go? Jennifer Walters and Ben Grimm. That's a good couple. Damn. Very good couple. Very good couple. Stephanie, what about you? Barry Allen and Felicity Smoke. (laughs) I know that doesn't count. Um, Those are two comic book shows. I know. I'm cheating. Um, Alana from Saga and Kate Kane, Batwoman. Ooh. I, I feel like Alana, she had some... You know, she's definitely got a bisexual feeling to her, and um, Kate Kane is very attractive, very awesome, both very strong women, and I think that their um, relationship would be interesting to see unfold. Have Clint Barton and Patsy Walker ever dated? Uh, Bob? They're in the Avengers together. I don't think so, that I can recall. All right. She was married at that point, but her husband was a supervillain, so, you know. Because isn't everyone's husband a supervillain? She goes back to the romance comics. He was, you know, Buzz Baxter, Air Force colonel, and worked for Roxxon eventually, which isn't a good thing. I'm trying to think of a good fit for Biles Morales. Uh, We're going to have an unhappy listener when I say this, but Power Girl and Gambit, because she would kick his behind eight ways to Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. All right. This is from Mike Lacey on Facebook. He says, hi, guys. None of you seem to uh, read comics based on licensed properties, with the exception of Bob. 
covering the city of the uh, on the edge of forever. Just wondering if there is a reason for that. Obviously, we talked about Shaft today mm-hmm. as, well, as well. I understand that the Transformers gag is just for fun. Steve seems to be a fan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but <laughs> no one is reading the ongoing series from IDW, which no. is fantastic. It is just a blanket policy for you guys that you're not interested in comics based on licensed properties, even if you are a fan of said property. IDW's ongoing TMNT book may be my favorite book out there right now. Uh, Brian Wood's run on the most recent Star Wars ongoing was excellent, and I'm really looking forward to what Jason Aaron does w- with it next. The Masters of the Universe book at DC has been a hit and miss, but has some very bright spots as well. Love the show. I, um, Go ahead, Stephanie. I've read, like, I, I started reading Transformers Windblade, mm-hmm. um, and that, I thought that was amazing, and that was uh, a really great team. It was all women, mm-hmm. uh, which was really, really cool to kind of... Uh, you know, see for a Transformers book, um, and not just the characters, like the entire team, uh, the creative team. Right. Um, let's see. I mean, um, Edward Scissorhands. Mm-hmm. That that's new. Kate yeah, have you been reading doing it? That. Uh, I I bought it, <laughs> <laughs> but I I do intend. It's just one of those things that uh, was on my iPad, and I forgot to load it before I went to the dead zone for a while. <laughs> Um, there's there's quite a few things that I've read that are uh, licensed properties. Yeah. I don't necessarily keep with them. Um, I I tend to wait for those things in trade if I'm going to read them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I yeah. Um, I'm reading Marguerite Bennett's Sleepy Hollow. Mm. So that's something. Um. Hmm. And also, just to clarify, because we got we got a comment about this. Um, as far as dogging on TMNT, um, last show or whenever it was, that said that we scoffed at. It. We weren't scoffing at it. We were we were basically saying that stuff for a friend of ours who listens to the show. It was kind of a dig. Yeah, uh, yeah. it was him. it was more it was more scoffing at a person than scoffing at a, the book. Yeah, I am a huge huge uh, Ninja Turtles fan. I am not reading the IDW book. Uh, however, it is on my list of uh, trades to pick up if I knew where to start. So if anybody who listens to the show that loves the Turtles, uh, tell me where to pick it up, where to start, and uh, I will do so because I, I love the world and I love the characters and I would love to know how to get involved. I think uh, there's a brand new series that just recently launched that's supposed to be really, really? good. Ooh. Yeah. Um, but uh, speaking on like licensed books. There are a couple of other ones that I had them in my head when, when stuff was talking before now they've escaped me, but um, I don't necessarily have a problem with them. I just, I find that I get enough of those characters and whatever else, if it's, especially if it's television that I, for my dollar, for my money, I tend to want to read things that I can't get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And I can't find those stories anywhere else. Whereas opposed to if I want to see a Ninja Turtles thing, I could watch the new Nickelodeon show or I could, you know, watch Sleepy Hollow or, or what have you on uh, on TV where I watch Arrow. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to buy the Arrow comic book or the Flash if they have made a Flash. They do. They do make it. Okay. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Oh, oh, I most definitely will be reading the Orphan Black comic that's being hmm. written by a friend of mine, go. Jody Hauser. I'm super stoked for her and I'm super stoked for that comic. So I Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, it, it's kind of along, along lines of what Steve said. I don't have any problem with licensed books. It's just I tend to find my passion for them is not very fierce for the exact same reason, is that if they exist somewhere else, then I would rather see them in their native form. And the other reason for me is just that 
because they exist somewhere else and because in my mind they exist in that other medium, mm-hmm. I I don't I don't think of them as a comic book first. Right. And so I, I don't think first, like, oh, I need to buy this Transformers book or this TMNT book, even if I really like those characters, for, for just for that reason. I mean, and TMNT is a little bit of a... It, it's not really a licensed book because it was originally a comic book anyway, you know, so yeah. that, that kind of falls in a different line. Obviously, right. it's become more famous for being a cartoon in a movie at, at this point, but obviously a comic book first. But I just... You know, and Transformers isn't something... It's something I remember fondly as a child. Right. Um, but it's not something that I have ever been invested in the fiction about. So wanting to dive deeper, I haven't. Like, I read... You know, when I wasn't even reading comics, I was I read much of the first kind of season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, those comics, you okay. know, the, the season eight stuff, and, and enjoyed it. And that was, that was a continuation of a story that I loved that I couldn't get anywhere else. But it's just something about it. Like, I... I did. I did this. I do the same thing with almost all of them. Or who's writing them? If it's writers, I really love doing them. Same thing with the Alien and like the Predator and the Prometheus stuff. Yeah, I haven't even gone near that yet. Really liked the first issues of them all, but when the next issues came out, I was just like, "This is not necessarily how I want to re how I want to consume yeah. my Alien lore." Mm-hmm. Is the via comic book? I think it's easier for me anyway. Um, I every month I pick up the Amazing World of Gumball. It is phenomenal as far as like the transfer from television episode to the comic book page you sit down with that comic and it's it's as if you turned on your television and you hear the characters voices in your heads you know the expressions like the way that they're drawn it looks exactly like the show um so that's a licensed property book that i i do buy every month and it takes me five minutes to read it but the entire five minutes that i'm reading it i have a huge smile on my face awesome i've done a few Mm mm-hmm and they tend to be things I loved from television as, as a kid. So uh, there are things I can't get in that form either anymore, except I can watch all the old episodes. But John Byrne's Star Trek New Visions, those photo novels read as if it's the fourth season of the original show. And he's such a fan, you can hear the voices because the, the speech the speech pattern's correct. My speech pattern isn't, but his is. <laughs> And the two Steed Mrs. Peel Avengers books, uh, Mark Wade starred the first one, Caleb Monroe and Ian Edgington last time around, are just episodes of something that should have been on the air 50 years ago. So I'm selective. I don't go running all over the place searching them out, and maybe that's to my deficit. I'm probably missing out on some things, but you got to be got to be right and it's very easy for those things to go very very wrong very mm. very quickly. We've seen how that can happen. So mm. no policy at this end. We just sort of yeah, I mean, look, we, we've been hearing for we've been hearing for three years how good the Transformer stuff yes. is, and it's just because I I don't have a lot of investment in those characters. I, it doesn't make me want to read them, you know, and that, that's part right. of the problem yeah. with that stuff. But Miles Morales and Spider Gwen. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> figured it out. Um, this is from uh, Declan uh, Glasgow uh, on Facebook, and he says, "Hey guys, I'm heading all the way from Belfast in Northern Ireland to Toronto to spend some quality time with my girlfriend." Apart from the Silver Snail, what other comic book shops or other geek-centric places should I go to? Been loving the show since podcast number one. Keep up the awesome work, guys. Best podcast well, out. I, like I, know the, I know the first thing right away, even though I don't live in Canada. Go to Stephanie's house. <laughs> it's true. My, my, she'll order pizza. Yeah. Yeah. I got a, I got a coupon for $5 off from Domino's. Oh, we don't know Potter. When did he say he's coming? Yeah, uh, he did not say exactly what he's. Gosh darn it! I was gonna say you can come to my geek Christmas party yeah. on Saturday the thirteenth. <laughs> uh, but if you're not here for then, then you know that probably won't work out. 
Um, but it's going to feature like all the geeks in Toronto, and that's right around the corner from this Silver Snail. Um, we're really blessed in Toronto to have a lot of comic shops, and while the Silver Snail is obviously my personal favorite um, and my regular comic shop, the Beguiling is a really cool place to go. Um, uh, the Snail has a lot of, uh, you know, mainstream stuff, but the Beguiling has a lot of indie stuff. They collect a lot of things from small press shows. So there's zines and or zines, depending on, you know, uh, what you say. They have some original art for sale um, and some stuff from like Tapatico. So uh, Kate Beaton's stuff um, and other cool things. Uh, and TCAF is a big draw to Toronto, uh, which happens in May. And they just opened up uh, a TCAF store in uh, the Toronto Public Library, which is at Young and Bloor Street. Uh, and it's really cool because it features a ton of stuff that you can't get anywhere else, uh, save for when TCAF is here. Uh, and they just ho- held a launch party last week with like Chip Zdarsky. And it was also the release of the Just the Tips book in which he was gifted from Matt Fraction a penis cake that he promptly ate, like, on camera. I'll, I'll send pictures. He just ate lots of dicks. Um, but let me see. What else? If you want to do something uh, big, go around uh, to... The Annex, which is Bloor Street West, and go see all the stuff that uh, is in Scott Pilgrim in the comics and in the movie. It, <clears throat> sorry, it takes place around there. Um, again, because the comic is set in Toronto, uh, everything is like filmed there that you know is in the book, and the Beguiling is actually uh, in the book as well, so it's part of. You know, the whole Scott Pilgrim thing. Um, let's see. It kind of depends on when you're here, I guess. Because obviously walking around in the winter is really miserable. <laughs> um, but the ROM, the Royal Ontario Museum, which I mentioned earlier, um, is also really cool. It's got lots of dinosaur stuff. And it's really fun. I think it's a great place to go check out. Um, let's see. Oh, snakes and lattes. Also on Bloor Street West. Bloor Street West is really great. The Annex is probably my favorite spot in Toronto. Um, and uh, it's it's right by the Beguiling as well. Uh, and it's a board game cafe. So they serve coffee, drinks, sandwiches, all kinds of stuff during the day. They're fully licensed at night. And I think they have something over 2,500 board games. Um, you can play regular things that, you know, you... Just want to, you know, relive for nostalgic reasons or whatever. Or um, the staff there will teach you a brand new game. You kind of tell them, are you looking for like a puzzler? Or are you just looking for something kind of classic board game? Or are you looking for something uh, a little bit more complex? And they'll find something for you. Because when it's not busy, all of the staff at Snakes and Lattes, they just practice learning all of these games for the sake of being able to recommend them to people. It's amazing. Seriously, it's so much fun. I think it's $5 uh, per person to just sit there unlimited like all day uh, and play board games. So it's really cool. Um, 
Huh. Oh, and also there, BMV. It's a used bookstore, <laughs> which is also on Blur Street West. It's all like within a block of each other. <laughs> so go there, definitely. BMV, uh, really great bookshop, lots of stuff that's incredibly cheap, like new releases. I bought like six hardcover books there the other day, and they're brand new. They were out, they've been out for like a week, and I got them for like six bucks each. It's like, ugh, what? <laughs> Somebody's getting a copy of Yes, Please by Amy Poehler because I just happened <laughs> to find it in the store and was like, well, this is great. <laughs> Uh, also, Hark of Agrin. Somebody's getting that, too. Um, but they have an entire floor. It's like the fourth floor. Um, they want us nerds to get our exercise. Uh, <laughs> you go up there, and the whole thing is just comics. And it's just like, oh, <laughs> so cheap. They have new stuff, old stuff, rare stuff, discontinued stuff, uh, single issues, trades, giant collected editions. Um, they have, like, those crazy, amazing Hellboy um, deluxe editions, all kinds of stuff. It's brilliant. So that should definitely be on your list, but only if you have room in your suitcase to bring stuff. <laughs> so I think that's um, a good start. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you gave Declan plenty to do. Is there. And he hasn't even left West Bloor Street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I mean, there's lots of stuff at like Young Street, but... Mm, that's very touristy in downtown. So yeah. you want to go sure. with the cool kids. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so kind of playing off the license question we had before, uh, this is from um, uh, M guy, 1977 on, on the forums. He says, uh, what are your thoughts on Marvel's return to star Wars? New number one selling reportedly 1 million copies. Another mini bubble for a new decade or the best thing since the death of Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical. <laughs> What do you think, Bob? If it brings back lots of readers to comics who haven't for years because they didn't find what they wanted or it, maybe it's just licensed material, mm -hmm. they're looking for more Star Wars stuff, it's a good thing if, gee, if 10% of them hang around. Mm -hmm. You had an extra 100,000 readers to the pot that you know weren't there before. Could be a very big thing. Yeah, and it could turn out to be speculators all over again. We won't know until issue two. Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot, there is obviously speculation that a chunk of it's loot crate because it seems when these big inflated numbers happen that they're loot crate inspired. Uh... But I, if you look at the other two, I mean, it's it was nothing more than around two hundred thousand, I think, for the loot crate sale. So I mean, unless you know eight hundred thousand more people have subscribed to loot crate in the last few months I, I don't think you're looking at that big of number just from loot crate it might be part of it absolutely yeah. but you're still probably looking at a good more, more than half a million sales let's say at least for actual physical uh comic books it's an it's a weird thing right because it's not like this is the first star wars book to be published since it left marvel it's yeah. dark horse has been publishing star wars books for ever mm -hmm. You know, and a, including a book called Star Wars yeah. <laughs> that just came out, uh, started a few years ago, a Brian Wood run. So I, I don't know what Marvel's doing. I don't know how they're, how they're, you know, promoting it. I know there's a ton of variant covers, um, so that's obviously part of it. Um, you know, they've got a good, they've got a great team on it. Jason Aaron and and John Cassidy. It's it's great. You know, oh, that, yeah. It's a fantastic team to put on a book like that, and obviously they're putting the prestige behind the licensed property. Um, yeah, I don't know what's gonna happen with number two. I, I feel like if this million thing is true, it, it seems unbelievable to me at, at this point. Um, just because we see the numbers every month, and, and the, the best-selling book is even 
nowhere close to that. No. You know, I think Walking Dead was like three hundred thousand, number one hundred, and yeah, that was a loot crate thing. Right? Yeah, no, no, Walking Dead wasn't. No, um, was that an anniversary? It was something? Yeah, they, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they more Rocket but, Raccoon. Rocket Raccoon was the one yes. that was like three hundred thousand because right. of loot crate. But um, th- this kind of stuff, it, it seems crazy to me. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a bubble. I mean, I think it might be a one-off thing, and then you can see it's going back down to however the numbers it's going to sell, 100,000, maybe mm-hmm. 80,000, 70,000. Who, who knows what, what it's going to be? Will stores have huge piles of these for the next two decades? Probably. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, anybody else want to chime in on? I just, I'm, I'm going to check it out mm-hmm. just because it's Jason Aaron. I'm very curious in that I don't really – care about the star wars universe i tried to jump on to the brian wood stuff and as good as it was i was just you know like all right like i don't need to follow these characters i'm curious as to being a a really big fan of his writing that if he's going to be able to get me to stay on that book and be interested in those characters just the way that he writes with the stuff that he does particularly with like i always the first thing i think of when i think of him is thor Mm mm-hmm what he's done with Thor over this year and last has just been just amazing, amazing epic stuff. If he can bring that sort of weight to the Star Wars universe, it could really be something. But as far as the numbers go, um, I think that the book is is going to pop up in things like you saw, like Loot Crate, um, with all the fever going around about the movie, and especially the speculation market of people wanting to get the number one with all this like Star Wars fever starting all over again for another generation and also another generation of buyers mm-hmm. uh, across the board that um, you're going to see a significant drop-off uh, come second issue. It's just my prediction. Yeah, I mean, it'll definitely be a big drop-off. It's regardless of, of what the situation is, and again, I don't know what it is, it's still a huge, huge boon for that book. And it's because it's getting that kind of press a lot of people are going to be checking it out just because, like all the people that didn't pre-order it or didn't lend to those numbers, there's going to, those that number is going to be even bigger yeah. when it comes out. Um, Stephanie, do, do you think? Let's say it does sell a million copies. It's its first month. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the staying power of the book? Do you think it's going to drop like eighty percent in, in in the second month? Do you think people will stay on to it? What do you think? Uh, I mean, I think there's always a significant decrease in uh, sales. I, I don't think. I mean. When was the last time comic books consistently sold that well? I don't even know. But was- 60s? Yeah. Early, early 60s? Uh, yeah. I mean, I just don't think statistically that's even possible. Um, it would be nice, uh, you know, because I think numbers like that for any series, no matter what it is, whether uh, like I read it or not, is good for the industry. It means more people are picking up comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's too good to be true. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I want to see though. I mean, look. If if it drops the way that most books drop, that still means in the second month it might sell five hundred thousand, which <laughs> you know, which is which is pretty crazy. Yeah. That's if it's fifty percent drop. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, so this is from uh, Michael Zane Johnson the second on Facebook, and he says, "Hey guys, do you think with all the upcoming and current comic based media, Gotham, Flash, now news of shows like Supergirl, Teen Titans, and Krypton, for example, do you think there will be a bubble where the culture is oversaturated with characters and stories that we'll care about, and they will lose some of their magic or specialness? Just as a concern, just a concern, as I'm loving the expectation of of the slate of DC and Marvel films coming in the next few years. Love you guys, um, Stephanie. What do you think?" I think it depends on the quality. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it really, if people are putting out good content that people are constantly excited for, I think that 
any property that you, you know, we're doing a squirrel girl movie. People are going to be like, I don't know who that is, but it's going to be so good. Um, you, you have to kind of train the masses to associate quality with the comic book medium. Um, so putting out consistently good stuff and not always taking itself seriously, making fun movies that uh, the masses outside of comic book fandom can relate to will wind up being um, a big factor in whether people get sick of it or not. It's not like, I mean, there's so many different characters that it's diverse universes um, and, you know, stories. It's a really fresh, original take on just about anything like could you imagine a sex criminals tv show on like hbo or something <laughs> that's not you know you can't be like oh they're doing sex criminals we just got a guardians of the galaxy movie <laughs> like it's not yeah um, it's not comparable you're comparing apples to oranges so i think as long as they keep uh changing it up you know it the reboot is obviously an oversaturated comic book thing oh fantastic four again it, it oh spider-man again oh this again like you know there needs to be an end to that stuff because there is so many other properties there are so many other properties um to kind of pick from but i i don't think people will get sick of it it's not you know uh the kind of vampire fad we had where it's just like <laughs> how many different vampire movies can we have comic book movies have a blessed diversity that we just need to kind of embrace to, you know, mm-hmm. think fresh. Yeah, absolutely. I think, look, I mean, there is definitely a chance where the, the kind of superhero story will burn, not burn people out, but it will begin to become less of the event that, that it is now, right? We're living very much in a heyday right now of every time they announce something, yeah. every time something is shown, it's the biggest thing that will happen that year. Eventually, it's not, it's not going to be that way anymore. But I think for the TV stuff specifically... There are so many TV shows on and so many channels that I, I think that the concentration and amount of shows becomes less important. It's not like movies where if Guardians Galaxy is coming out a weekend, it's the thing that weekend. It's got, you know, it's got two months of, uh, of promotion behind it. You're hearing interviews, hearing everything about it with a TV show. It's on once a week. It's on this channel. If you're not watching that channel at that time, you don't, you know, or you're not DVRing it. It doesn't matter, right? You're not. It's not like you're being ex- exposed to it constantly, you know. <laughs> so I feel like that kind of thing, you know, doesn't work. I mean, people tend to associate, and it might change because obviously Marvel's kind of changed that with the way they did their universe and stuff like that. But people associate more being tired with a show. They, they seem to. They often will blame the network more than they'll blame you know what the show is based on. Yeah. So if they don't like Gotham, and I think it's on Sci-Fi, I think it's uh, not Gotham. Um, Krypton, Krypton is going to be on yeah, Sci-Fi. sci-fi yeah. They're gonna be like, oh, it's just another bad sci-fi show. They're not gonna say like, oh, it's a it's a bad comic book show, you know. And I I think that same thing with Supergirl on CBS or whatever it might be, you know. I I think that the Titan show, which they just announced, they're shooting the pilot next year. Um, uh, it's gonna be TB- TNT, I believe. Uh, Jeff John, it's gonna be. Oh, I didn't even know that TNT was still around. Yeah, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be Dick Grayson, Robin as Nightwing, and uh, it's gonna have Raven and and, wow. and, and yeah, it's gonna be a, a real Teen Titans show and. You know, that kind of stuff, I think, right now, that stuff is still very exciting. And I think TV is a great place because it lets you use the characters that you're not going to use in, 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 the, in the big things. True. Um, but like Stephanie said, it's all about quality. You know, yeah. and, and I think, Stephanie, you made a great point with the, the, you know, people 
playing sex criminals with Guardians of the Galaxy. Comics are so diverse that we're going to get a preacher show on AMC, and no one's going to associate that with the fact that it's a comic book. You know, no one, no one even associates The Walking Dead. Most people, ninety-eight nine percent of people, don't even associate the, the Walking mm-hmm. Dead as a comic book. Right. It's just a sh- this show they love on AMC. You know. When you read, um, it's in your pile. When you read Sheltered, mm-hmm. like I, I'm pretty sure that that got picked up for something. I'm not a hundred percent on that, but if it hasn't, it will be because mm-hmm. that was made to be either a TV special or like a one, like a one-off season thing it is built for that and that's something that i want to see um and like stephanie said so long as the quality is there i think people are gonna stay with it and and be interested because it's become its own genre in the film industry at this point that i mean sky's the limit with this stuff they keep buying properties up every week we hear about another thing being announced Mm. you know and some of it will be amazing some of it will be all right and then other stuff will fail as long as you, it is about the quality and it's having committed filmmakers making the products mm-hmm. more than just palatable, more than just junk to make money. In the 50s, post-war, because of fear of the atom bomb or whatever, the lots of science fiction movies. And when that run started, it was the thing from another world and the day the earth stood still and when worlds collide and war of the worlds and forbidden planet invasion of the body snatchers and just great movies, them and the beast from 20,000 fathoms and... Then the hacks got involved. And then you've got movies with giant grasshoppers with such terrible mm-hmm. special effects you could see through. Or the Attack of the 50-Foot Woman that we watched for mm-hmm. Fanboy Remix years ago that's funny because it's so bad. And for right now, it, these movies cost so much to do. It's big studios and big producers and yeah. big conglomerates involved. If it, it turns into hack work for somebody... Mm-hmm. that's when the quality begins to drop and what looked like a promising genre that could go on forever turns right. into uh, one of those again. Yeah. Well, I also think that this stuff is going to, is going to be weeded out by like the fans and, and by networks and stuff like something like Constantine is already on the chopping block. Like they, mm-hmm. they finished, I think it was 11 episodes and that 13, There's 13, 13 episodes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it hasn't been picked up for picked up season. again yet. And there's already, you know, save Constantine hashtags all over the place. I haven't watched past, I think I watched the first three episodes. Um, I'm not watching it, and I'm watching everything else. And I've been trying to figure it out for the past couple of minutes in my head, like what exactly is it about Constantine that people aren't like latching onto? Because this was something that people had wanted for a number of years, like for a while. When, when we were just you know, saying, oh, well, what characters would you like to see in a television show three years ago? Constantine was one of those characters. Mm-hmm. And now here we are, and he's like seven episodes deep, maybe, and it's already in jeopardy. And I, I just, where are the Gotham Watchers? Where are the Arrow Watchers on this? Like, what's going? What's happening with Sleepy Hollow? Sleepy mm-hmm. Hollow is not a comic book property. Well, it is now, but mm-hmm. um, I'm just saying, like, all of that stuff will eventually, the bad stuff will go away, and we'll be left with the quality. Because if it's quality, it will go on, and it will survive, and it will get you know, really solid people behind it. Um, as in Seth Rogen is doing Preacher. He's producing it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when we will see what that's up. I mean, AMC usually makes pretty good shows, so you mm-hmm. get to see what happens there. I mean, the thing about like stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy is, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, is very important for Marvel because it came at a time where, yeah, they were doing great, but it's an inflection point for them where they did something different at a time where they could have just done the same thing over again. And they need to keep doing 
things like that, or you're it's not not going to turn things over. I thought it was very funny because obviously this week we got the confirmation that Benedict Cumberbatch is playing Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. and you know I guess because maybe it had been rumored for so long and there have been so many actors named and all that stuff. You know, some people were like, "Oh, it's kind of unexciting. Like he's such an obvious choice. Like he's like one of the best actors in the world, and you're like you're ambivalent about the fact yeah. that he's in a comic book movie." But the thing about it is that that's so interesting because we've come so far, right? Where mm-hmm. it was like, if a mildly good actor was in a comic book movie back in the day, it was so exciting, and now it's this one of these one of the, our great actors right now. He's in it. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, good. Uh, yeah, he'll be good. Well, <laughs> as opposed to being Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, seventy. For on that note, though, specifically. Um, I love Benedict Cumberbatch, but it's it's one of those things where he's just it's an oversaturation thing. He's in everything, like he's in all the geek things. What franchise is he not in right now? I don't know what I mean, his vo- he's in he was in one Star Trek movie. His voice is in The Hobbit. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, but that's not a geek. Pro- we made that a geek property. It wasn't. A geek so what? <laughs> I would argue that that's always been a geek thing. <laughs> People can geek out about anything. Oh, I know that, but I'm saying it's not like he's in like every kind of like comic book and sci-fi thing that no, comes out. No, but I just think he's in a lot of stuff right now that fandom, um, you know, kind of just is in love with. Um, and I think that's kind of where people are like, ah, well, at least for me, like I'm just like, uh, I would have liked to see a more interesting choice. But I mean, I agree. Like, I think he'll do a great job with it. It's not about that though for me. So. <laughs> Just my two cents. And I said this on Twitter. I really, I know that he's supposed to be American, but I really hope he keeps his accent in it. <laughs> yeah, why not? Because I, I think wanna, it would work better that way. Yeah, I want to hear him say Dora Mamu in like yeah. a really <laughs> is, is like Benedict you know, in his Cumber's accent. Um, but yeah, and I mean, we t- you mentioned yeah, Cumber tongue, Cumber tongue. Yeah, you asked me before we went to the break about what I thought of the Krypton thing. Yeah. Um, my thing is like I prequel stuff. I don't really care that much about. Mm-hmm. That's the same reason why I'm not into Gotham, right? I, I Crypto, it's interesting. Definitely, it's interesting to see what happens there and to see kind of the the characters in that world interacting with each other, free of the Superman mythos. And it maybe it'll be politically charged and interesting in that way. But those kind of shows never really excite me as much as the here and now type of shows. Because because in a Krypton, what you're waiting, you're just waiting for the plant to explode. Yeah, I, That's what you're waiting for. I saw, I saw yeah. the best tweet ever today was they showed the logo for Krypton and they're like, way to blow the ending yeah. right in the promotion. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm much more. I'm super excited to see what the Supergirl show is. I'm really excited to see what this Teen Titan show is. Because, yeah, those I'm I'm excited for because those, those are here and now heroes and I and characters I really like that I want to see done justice. Yeah, but you know, I don't I, I don't care about it. Just and it, it, I don't. You know, people are saying oh, the David Goyerness of it maybe is the thing that. But he's going to executive produce the show. He's not going to be there every day. It's yeah. not you know he and David Goyer's done good stuff before. So that's something that doesn't bother me. It's just I well a sci-fi is. Outside of Battlestar Galactica, has never done things that I I really liked. You know, I feel like Battlestar Galactica is an outlier as far as bar of quality for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't seen everything, and then, you know, I might be I, I could very well be speaking out of turn. But as far as like the real deep, serious kind of sci-fi stuff, that seems to be the the, the gold standard for them. Mm-hmm. And everything else I've kind of tried to watch from them, I haven't really cottoned on to. So that's the part of it. It's actually the network for me more than the show that has me a little bit wary mm-hmm. of, of what that's going to be. From the station that brought you Sharktopus. Yeah. <laughs> Don't they? Um, didn't they do Warehouse 13? Is that them? Yep, I they did. Was, was, it, was it the original? 
Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I don't the know. Librarians. Like Battlestar Galactica, Warehouse 13, Hall's all that's like Orphan Black. They're all Canadian shows. Yes. That get syndicated out to like sci-fi and BBC and all that. So I don't know if they were originally, you know, like commissioned by sci-fi, but that's where they wound up. Right. Hmm. Okay, yeah. So I mean, again, like I haven't seen all of those shows. I mean, obviously Orphan Black is is great. Um It's so good. Uh but um yeah, so I mean, we'll see what happens with that. We'll see what happens with that. But oversaturation, I don't know. It depends. I think if it's a, like Bob said, if there's a lot of bad stuff, then that's when you'll get yeah. oversaturation. This is from um, Good Evening uh, on Amy on Twitter. Amy, yeah, she says, "What is your nerd blind spot? I.e., the one nerdy thing that people expect you to be into, but you aren't. Hers oh. is Star Wars. I didn't <laughs> know what mine is right now. Go ahead, seven. Star Trek. Okay. Um, and it's not that I don't want to know anything about Star Trek, but like I, I didn't grow up with cable tv you know i watched star trek every now and again at a friend's place when it was on in between stuff but i never religiously had a chance to just sit down and watch it so the only real experience i've had with being able to know star trek is the movies like the latest movies like i haven't even seen the old stuff and everyone thinks you know like anytime somebody talks about star trek around me i just kind of stay quiet and hope that nobody you know asks me anything (laughs) so Star Trek. All right, that's a good one. Bob, what about you? Lord of the Rings. You've seen the first two movies. I've seen the first two <laughs> movies, and I appreciate them for what they are, but I have no passion for it whatsoever. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. This is, I'm in like a Lord of the Rings like fever right now. <laughs> I saw your, your, yeah. your tweet. Yeah. I love Lord of the Rings. Yeah, because we've got the... I'm playing Shadow of Mordor right now, and the Hobbit, last Hobbit movie is coming out on Friday. So mm-hmm. I was Tuesday. so bummed. There was the premiere in Toronto on Saturday, and Peter Jackson was there. Um, and Lee what? Pace showed up, and I was like, oh, why didn't I go? And somebody had, like, told me, like, was like, here, Steph, come to the premiere. And I didn't, because I fell asleep. <laughs> Steve. Okay. I had it, and I lost it, and I got it again, so let me go really okay. quick. Uh, tabletop card games. Those really, really elaborate card games that take infinite forget setting it up like my friend brendan he just got um the tabletop card game called legendary and they have all these different versions and he got the alien version of this game now if there was anything that was going to get me to sit down and play one of those types of games it has to be associated with something that i really love and i love the alien films so he bought this crazy game on black friday and i've seen him playing it twice and he just he goes to open his mouth to invite me to play. Just nope, <laughs> nope, <laughs> nope. And it looks really cool because you it's cooperative. You actually, you band together to fight the aliens. And then if you happen to die, you then become the aliens on the other side and try to screw your friends over. And it sounds, conceptually, it sounds amazing. But Pokemon, Magic... Um, about the closest I've ever come has been um, I've played a couple of rounds and loved uh, Hearthstone on the PC. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's that's it. Anybody says elaborate tabletop games or even some of the games we've played over at Jackie's house. I, I, I get lost within just a few minutes of explaining how it's, how it's played. <laughs> I and, mean, uh, sorry, uh, go ahead. No, no I was just say that Avalon game. Like that was great. Yeah. I was putting I was uh, first round. I was just putting cards down, and I'm like, I hope this is the right one. And then I'm listening to you like argue for like the weird card in the pot. But why would this person do it? And it was me. I'm just like, do do do. But I watched you play 
the last time, uh, the night that we were recording yeah. Talking Games, and I was talking to Brendan about this, and I said, I said, you know, I was like, Bobby is really devious <laughs> yeah. because I was watching from it was you and Bob were mm-hmm. were the bandits or the enemies yeah, yeah. or whatever, yeah. and like all of the shit that you talked the last time we played, you were doing the total opposite of that <laughs> when you were playing yourself, and I was like. He's not even listening to himself. He's telling everybody what to do, and then his cards are the exact opposite of that. <laughs> this is what he yelled at me for last time, and now you're doing it. But it was so interesting to watch you play it so straight and just <laughs> flat out lie to everybody. And now I know that, yeah. having watched from the outside, <laughs> that the next time I sit down to play a game with you, I'm not going to believe shit <laughs> that comes out of your mouth. Except the next time you should yeah. <laughs> see, and then you're, you're all, all fouled up again. And my girlfriend just won her hockey game. Nice. Yeah. Live update. Congratulations. <laughs> so if people don't know, we're really quick, this game Avalon or Res- The Resistance, if people don't know what it is, it's a, it's a very simple game. You... You have a. If you, let's say you have seven people playing. Um, four of those people are freedom fighters, and three of them are spies. And the spies all know who they are, but the freedom fighters don't. And you send people out on missions, and you have to. Um, and if one person, and you put in fail or succeed cards if, when you're when you're on the mission, if one fail card comes down, the mission fails. And it's best out of five. So you have to, if you're the good guys, you're trying to figure out who the bad guys are to keep them off your team. But if you're a bad guy, you're obviously trying to convince them that you're yeah. a good guy. So it's just you're just lying to like your closest friends in the entire yeah. world. <laughs> and it's amazing. Um, oh, so, I played that at Gen Con and with the stranger that kind of didn't really explain everything to us and just kind of bullied <laughs> us through it. It was just like, why? Why did you do this move? I'm like, because you told me to. Oh. <laughs> like, um our friend jay is <laughs> yeah, the, the worst. worst the worst player ever <laughs> he cannot he'll be like i'm a good guy i'm really really a good guy and he's obviously a bad guy yeah. or he'll decide like he'll just go like i'm just not gonna say anything and i'm like well, you're obviously a bad guy then jay because yeah. if you had nothing to hide you wouldn't be shutting up <laughs> to try to hide what you have to say just be jay and yeah, you'd be fine exactly you know? um but the game's a lot of fun um for me my blind spot similar D&D is one of those things for me. Oh, I love D&D. Uh, which I never really played, and people kind of assume that, that, I, that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought the starter set a few months ago, and well, I Well, you're just like it. the Big Bang Theory, right? Yeah, I'm just like the Big Bang Theory. Everybody. We're all like the yeah, Big Bang yeah. Theory. God, I hate that. <laughs> I hate that so much. Um, you know, there's things I, I don't feel confident about, like, video game-wise. I've never played a Castlevania game before. What? Yeah, never played Castlevania. <laughs> what? Yeah. Just didn't play them when oh, I. Oh, that's it. I played some of Symphony of the Night. I will say that because I tried it when it came out on Xbox Live Arcade, um, but I didn't play it on the PlayStation originally. Do you and have a DS? Uh, yeah, I played a little bit of one. Oh God, uh, Order of Ecclesia is the one. I okay. played a little bit of that one. I played bits, but I've never played a whole game. Do you want to play one? Uh, yeah, I do. I have them all, and I will. <laughs> I will let you borrow. Well, them. I have Symphony of the Night on my Xbox 360. <laughs> yeah, but you're not gonna hook that up again and play that. It's hooked up my TV upstairs. No, it's yeah, not. yes, it is. <laughs> Um, and think about what Stephanie's saying about Star Trek. I know very little, I know bits, you know, I have like a survey knowledge of it, but nothing deep about really any of it. Mm. Um, all right. So, um, let's see. Uh, we already kind of answered this question. Stephanie, have you watched any of Constantine? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I, cause Craig Blenclow was asking what we thought of it and Steve obviously already chimed in a little bit, but, uh, Stephanie, what did you think of what you saw? I, the first episode was okay. It wasn't great, and I mean, I'm, I'm not 
super familiar with Constantine um, in the books. Like, I have a bunch of stuff that I just haven't gotten around to reading. Um, so I didn't have that kind of comparative knowledge uh, going into it. And it felt fun, but at the same time, I don't know. Like, I just didn't love it. And I watched several episodes, I think three or four, and I, I just... It just didn't resonate with me. After they replaced the first girl and the second girl came along, like, she just felt, I don't know, like, she was trying too hard to be uh, just, I don't know. She just didn't feel organic in the film or in the show. Mm-hmm. And, like, kind of focusing on her weird chemistry with Constantine kind of took me out of trying to enjoy it a lot. She was really pushy. Yeah. At and, the start. And like she just not in a way where just like she doesn't want to know why she's like who this person is, you know, like she just wants to know who she keeps drawing. And like she doesn't she has weird motivations to me. Like nothing makes sense. It just everything feels like the writing is just by the seat of your pants. It, it doesn't feel like it has a place to go. It just is kind of going along for the sake of it. Right. That- yeah. I mean, they had the, the female lead that was in the pilot in the first episode, she didn't test well. So they, they rewrote that whole scenario and she ends up leaving at the end of the first episode. And we're introduced to this new girl that it feels like they tried to take aspects of what they were going to do with that first character and just kind of pasted them onto this other character that might've just been like a one and done type of thing where like they, they see her, she has visions of him. They go on a, you know, little exorcism together. And then by the end, she's either dead or moved on. And they're like, well, you know, maybe we can take this girl and have her be the, the companion to his doctor or whatever. Um, but I just, I, I didn't like her character. I didn't like the first one at all. Um, and then they tried to introduce this, this new girl and it just, I don't know, like the oversaturation thing kind of comes into question because I'm interested in all of this stuff. But after like two or three episodes that I watched with my girlfriend when she was here after she left and after we were kind of bumming around, I had no desire to, to watch it again. Well, Craig, who asked the question said, Constantine has really grown on him after a shaky start. I think it's better than agents of shield was at this point and look how good that is now. I mean, and you know. I would check it out still. Again, I mean, we talk about this every time, but we all severely disliked Arrow for its first yes. f- five to ten episodes, and then afterwards, we we've got, grown to really, really like it. Um, so obviously, show sometimes get off to a rocky start. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if Constantine's get the chance to, to redeem itself. to redeem itself or to to get to maybe at the level it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a shame too because I do really like that character a lot, and I think that there's a lot of interesting. Um, side characters they can bring in. I know they 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 brought in um, uh, the Spectre into into the uh, into the into the mix. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, in, in the in the later episodes and stuff like that. So I, I think that there's some really cool stuff you can do. Um, Swamp Thing possibly as well. You know, he's uh, heavily tied to Constantine. That would be amazing. Uh, Constantine made his, I would watch that. his debut in in Swamp Thing. So uh, yeah, I, I I I think it's a shame because it shows sometimes you get time to get their footing, but. NBC stuck it on Friday, you know, at a time where a lot of people are not going to watch it. So I don't know if they gave it the best chance to succeed either. Right. It's one of those things too, where you look at, this is why 
sometimes it's better to do shows like this on the CW or on mm-hmm. Sci-Fi or on TNT because they're not expected to get the same ratings as something on NBC or Fox or ABC mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. And unlike, especially unlike Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where the company that owns the property owns the network and they have a vested interest in making it work. Yeah. These other, you know, NBC has no vested interest in helping Warner Brothers yeah. make mm-hmm. one of their properties more popular. If yeah. it's not getting ratings, they're not going to keep it on. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is on fire right now. Have you, are you caught up with no, that? No, I'm not even close. I just started watching the first season on Netflix because I, you know, I, I, I watched like the first four episodes. That show, what come like the Captain America stuff once when that when um, Winter Soldier was happening and that whole the whole Hydra thing took over, it got better. Now, I, I, every episode is like edge of your seat. I, mm-hmm. I want to see the next one, setting a lot of stuff up for the Inhumans. So cool. And really cool. There was an announcement I saw today where Age of Ultron will be tied into next season Shield. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a character right now in Agents of Shield that I don't know that a lot of people know who it is, but there's speculation. I've been talking to Rob inside the store and everything. And- Are you talking about the Kyle McLaughlin character? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've heard about this rumor. Yeah. If that's if that's lining up to be what it is, it's pretty awesome. Mm. Um, oh, I want to say too, while we're talking about comic book shows, and we talked about the Flash before, I forgot to mention this. So they cast Mark Hamill to play uh, yeah, the, the trickster. trickster. Wow. An aged trickster, and they're going to have a younger guy kind of running. Oh, around. nice. He's in jail, and they go to kind of he's like a Hannibal Lecter kind of character, <laughs> where they're going to go talk to him to try to catch the young trickster. And I can't remember the girl's name right now. The girl who was the Star Labs employee, Amanda Page. Amanda Page. She's she's reprising that role on the Flash. Awesome. So I don't know how that's that, that's linking that's cool. in, but obviously they have a ton of respect for that '90s yeah. series, which I think it, it, it is pretty cool. That show's been great. Yeah. They're gonna bring back the Deadly Nightshade now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and we're gonna we're gonna uh, finish off with this this last question here. This is from Nick Harrison. I wanted to get you your guys' thoughts on this for a while. We tend to label broad changes in tone that take place in the comic industry, examples being the death of Gwen Stacy and the birth of the Silver Age and the Dark Knight Returns beginning the modern age. What you guys agree, um, would you guys agree that with Fractions, Hawkeye, and Kelly Sue's Captain Marvel, we've just witnessed what could be considered the birth of a new age of comics? Yes. And mm-hmm. I would label it the Renaissance because just as in real history that followed the Dark Ages, we have the same <laughs> thing here. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I would definitely agree. And I would also um, point a big fat arrow over to the stuff that uh, Image Comics has been doing over the past few years. Their their menu of of stuff that they're serving up over there has just really opened up, you know, opened up the arms for people that might not necessarily read comics. You know, I'm buying image books for people that don't read comics and giving them as as Christmas gifts. You know, um, but yeah, no, I definitely think that we're seeing uh, something. We're definitely seeing uh, some moves in positive directions, uh, particularly in the latter part of this year. Uh, I think 2015 is going to bring some really, really positive stuff. Absolutely. Stephanie? I I think, I mean, yes, they're definitely ushering in a new era. More specifically, I think Kelly Sue and like G. Willow Wilson, I think they're ushering in an era where they're forcing comic book companies to realize oh my god we really do need to cater to you know not 50 year old men who have this 
closed gate. I, I resemble that remark. <laughs> I know. There's, there's obviously exceptions, but you know, it's been a gated community for too long, and uh, companies are starting to realize that they can't continue uh, this streak and still make money. Mm. But I don't think that uh, that is necessarily what's uh, ushering in the change. Kelly Sue is uh, an instrument in this, but I think actually digital comics um, are and web comics as well are what's really forcing companies to be like, wow, we need to turn this shit around right now because why would I pay money for your shitty comic that I've read a thousand times, you know, not necessarily that specific one, but, you know, the story over and over again when I can go online and read Nimona for free. And that's original and funny and amazing, well-written with great art. Why would I pay for your comic when I can get something better? Um, and I think digital comics are forcing people, and more specifically, uh, the, the higher-ups and publishers to, you know, reevaluate everything and just kind of be like, wow, this is what people want. People want original comment. They want to see new art. And I think that's where, you know, David Aja and Francesco Francovella and, uh, you know, Emma Rios's art and all these people, like even Mike, Mike Allred, people want to see those in mainstream comics now because they're becoming more and more of a norm because of digital comics. So I, I would yeah. say that. I, I think, I think in... Obviously, it's weird to talk about it when you're in the middle of it because no, I don't think anyone there was like we're in the Silver Age. You know? no, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. exactly. Yeah. Uh, but and but this is the way th we the, we're filled in a world of instant nostalgia where it's yeah. like, oh, you remember this thing that happened yesterday? Wasn't that so great? Uh, but <laughs> I think that there's whole like websites dedicated to it at this point. There's, but oh yeah, there's like a comedian Tig Navarro, mm -hmm. and she's like, I love when people laugh and then go. <sighs> like they're reminiscing about one second ago. Remember that time when that thing that was really funny happened? Ha <laughs> 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 ha She was on the Sarah Silverman program. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, she, she's very funny. Um, but, I, you know, I think what Stephanie is saying too, in, in a lot, in more than one way, it's sort of an age of diversity, right? I mean, not just in the difference, you know, the different races and sexes and, you know, um, and sexualities becoming prominent members of the community and becoming characters in books. Obviously we're not even close to where it needs to be right now, but it's changing. But just in the, like Stephanie's saying the looks and feels of the books, the, 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 the content in the books, it seems like we're entering a world where it, as Stephanie said before about the sex criminals guardians thing, where it's these two completely different things that exist within the same umbrella. And I think that, look, I think, and I think that Kelly Sue's Captain Marvel is going to be one of those kind of touchstone books. When people look back and they go, when did things start to change? They're going to point to that book because it really is the mm -hmm. thing, at least within the, in the, the, big, the big two that started things right. going in a different direction. It changed the books and in some ways the face of fandom too. Yeah, absolutely. And the way to energize people who didn't think they had any power to do something. And no, we can get these kind of books whether as Stephanie says digitally or get the companies to put books out or we'll go to an indie company that will publish the kind of books we want mm -hmm. will be their books yeah. you don't have to read these two companies we'll go somewhere else exactly and I, I think that is a huge touchstone and so I do agree look I love Fractions Hawkeye stuff it's a really great book that is a different take on something it's not revolutionary in the way that, that, that Captain Marvel mm -hmm. is, is a, re a revolutionary book but 
I I think we're living in a great time right now, and hopefully, it seems like the people who are ushering in that time are really dedicated to making it great. Mm. So I, I can't see it stopping any anytime soon. I mean, like Stephanie was saying about the digital comic stuff, you think the adventures of Squirrel Girl would exist in the Marvel Universe if it wasn't for that kind of stuff? N- no way. That no was way. like almost exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, there's no way. That, I mean, that's an exact, this is a complete <laughs> reaction to, to that stuff. And it's a great reaction to it. You know, um, we saw the Axel Alonso panel at mm-hmm. New York Comic Con and he, Greg Pak was saying, well, Storm wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Ms. Marvel. Right. And G. Willow Wilson was saying, well, Ms. Marvel wouldn't exist without Captain Marvel. Right. Yeah. All these things have a root. Mm-hmm. And now we, we've, we're growing a much better tree. Yeah. And hmm. you can see people who are becoming voices in the comic book industry who, you know, a couple of years ago weren't, were just doing comics for, for free. Like, like Noel Stevenson is, is a pretty loud voice now oh, yeah. in the comic book world and for, you know, pushing all the time to, you know, not letting anything slide in the, in the, in the, in the name of progress. And I think that's awesome, you know, and that's what we're seeing now. And using this digital age to give the voice and not let people's voices be squashed. Although there's a lot of, horrible crap that comes along with that yeah. horrible horrible crap letting that having that exist because of that i think is wonderful and it's gonna it's gonna make everything change if it hasn't already so amen yeah absolutely all right so thank you everyone that was a awesome great response from everybody yeah we still got a bunch of questions to get through and possibly maybe we'll we'll, we'll do those next week as well when, oh. when we wrap up um sweet so uh um, it's gonna be the same thing as every year when this time comes. Next week will be a regular show. Um, we are, I mean, it's hundred percent right now. We're gonna talk to Joshua Williamson. Yeah, for our last show, obviously, writer of Ghosted and Nailbiter and Birthright and um, a whole mess of of great books. So good. Um, to kind of close out our year, awesome style. We're gonna talk about those books, and he's also gonna do a little. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna t- tell us his top five comics of the year on the air. So nice. Good to hear that. Um, this Sunday. The uh, the three of us dun, dun, dun. Are, um, are sitting in a room together for six hours with Stephanie on the line, of course, to battle it out for uh, our books of the year nominees. Um, and then uh, we'll put those nominees out. And then in a, in a few weeks, you'll hear those shows. Obviously, once a week from uh, the Christmas break. When we come back, we'll do our awards, uh, like always. Hoping to do it live this year, though, and possibly maybe even have a camera going on us. So we'll see what happens. Oh, so this Sunday's this Sunday's not the camera show. No, 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 no. This is a new haircut. I got a new haircut. Sorry, I didn't know it was for this. <laughs> it really wasn't. I had to clean up my act. Yeah, it's uh, a. <laughs> it was getting scruffy. The, the knockdown drag out shouldn't be filmed. <laughs> <laughs> get ugly but the award show i think we might we're gonna try to do that live um and combine obviously the the, the two award shows because we're talking games we'll be doing their award show right around that same week yeah so we'll, we'll do something cool um for that as well um so if you guys want to get in touch with us remember it's podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com or at talkingcomics on twitter facebook.com slash talking comics uh go to talkingcomicbooks.com for all the reviews columns um and our bevy of podcasts the misfits of course with our own stephanie cook melissa megan and mara wood stephanie you're doing um best of list right now right yeah we just finished movies this week our favorite movies from 2014 and then we'll be doing uh video games kind of overlapping on talking games uh <laughs> and we'll be doing uh comics as huh. well but you know We'll be, we'll be. What's going on over yeah, there? Hey, we're stealing Poacher the show. Poacher, yeah, Poacher. <laughs> yeah, but 
Subject poacher. I I love Mara and Melissa, and we have to, you know, as ladies, get our feels (laughs) a little bit. These things that we love. I love. Absolutely. I love best of lists. So the more there are, the better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the lists. Um. So uh, yeah. So uh, so check those out. Um. Like Stephanie said, the best of movies of 2014 is up right now. So make sure you check that out. Mm-hmm. Um. We've got Talking Valiant with, with our own Adam Shaw, and we also have Talking Movies with Brian Verderosa. Um. Talking Games. Yeah. Very own Steve Say, Jackie Turner, Justin Townsend, and Mr. Rob Newmeyer. Yes. Um, you guys are doing double record. Duty. Yeah, we're doing a double show uh, this week. Uh, we will be talking about the Video Game Awards, Jeff Keighley's mm-hmm. Video Game Awards. And um, there was a PlayStation experience that happened this past weekend with a ton, ton of games announced. Yeah. Uh, we're just going to go through the list. And uh, we're also going to be doing uh, kind of a listener feedback special. So uh, if you guys want to head to the forums or you want to hit us up on Twitter, it's at talking underscore games um, or facebook.com slash talking games PC. <laughs> you can leave us uh, some questions. We'll answer anything. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I'll, we'll also be doing a uh, best of same format as this show yeah. for the game stuff as well, yep. which will be a ton of fun and awesome. Um if you want to get in touch uh, with us personally, I'm at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve? Uh, my Twitter handle is at dead underscore anchorus. Bob, email address? Bob Ryder at talkingcomicbooks.com. And Stephanie? Uh, my Twitter is at hellocookie. All right. Um, I want to say before we go, though, a huge congratulations to our own very own Joey Bracino. Hell yeah. Who got engaged oh, this past week. Mm-hmm. Um, congratulations big time. Uh, Joey is awesome. So, uh, yeah. Best of luck, man. It's gonna be a. It should be a good ride. It's gonna be a ride. <laughs> yeah. He will always that. be beloved to me for suggesting Teen Dog. <laughs> <laughs> Teen Dog's so rad. <laughs> All right, so that's gonna do it uh, for this week's show. Unless Bobby, you have one more thing. We're not doing new releases this week. No, we're not gonna do releases. No, we're good. gonna skip it. We're we're, we're already late. We're very we're long. Late. Okay. We're running very long. So I, I have nothing but that. Okay. Buy Bitch Planet. That's what you should yes. do. Yeah. Definitely. Um, also, I'm going to be checking out The Valiant, the Jeff Lemire Valiant. Yeah, book. my first first Valiant <gasps> purchase. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Lemire, Matt Kint, and Paulo Rivera. So it's a pretty... Uh, mm. There's a couple really good things happening tomorrow. Well, yeah. And uh, yeah. it's the first of the Valiant. They're doing like prestige books format. If wow. uh, yeah. I know there's quite a few of you guys in Toronto, too. And speaking of Bitch Planet, if you are in Toronto... Uh, the Silver Snails hosting the Bitch Planet launch party, and the entire team is going to be there, including Kelly Sue DeConnick. Oh, oh shit! So <laughs> I will be there helping out, uh, and you know, getting my hangout on. Awesome sauce! So you guys should definitely do that because, first of all, the comic is amazing. Second of all, they're going to have exclusive posters, T-shirts, and all kinds of stuff. So just come, just come. Even if you don't live in Toronto, if you live in Alabama, come. That seems like a long trip. (laughs) Don't use your rational Sorry. I'm sorry. All right. So that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Steve. Goodbye. Bob. Yikes. And Stephanie. Until maybe next time. (laughs) I have been Bobby. Until next time. (laughs) To be continued. (laughs) 